0: of all of our favorite artists and bands. Uh, this is Mark. I'm also joined by my two faithful cohorts, Eric and Steve. You'll hear from them in just uh, two hot minutes.
1: This is your editor, Steve. My microphone was acting up. So for this episode, I sound like I am or down in a well. I believe everything's audible, and I still think it's a great episode. But when we come back next episode, it'll be the pristine audio quality you're used to. Started off my day at 8.30 walking my dog and it was already unbearably hot. And then later today, we went and we swam at some friends' houses. um, They live in Placerville, you know who they are. And uh, they have a above ground pool. And I noticed that the above ground pool was slanted quite a bit now, and I've been in it later and I was like, holy shit, did it, because it rained for three months, did it like erode half the the ground out from the pool? And they said, yes. And then when I got home tonight at 8.30 tonight, um, it was still unbearably hot. So we had two unbearably hot times of the day when it shouldn't be unbearably hot, and sandwiched in the middle was a pool that uh, was lopsided because we had a winter where it rained for three months straight. Uh, that, was, that was my day with climate change all summed up.
0: The best of times, the worst of times. Uh, they couldn't afford a cement pool, not like the uh, Beverly Hillbillies could, but uh, no, above-ground no, pool... No.
1: No comment. No comment. <laughs>
0: uh, no comment. That's uh, watch actually, yourself. You know,
1: one of one of the people, the the female in that relationship, was actually on this podcast before. So if you do the math, you know who it was, and she actually probably has more money than all three of us combined. But anyways, moving on.
0: No, that's true. Um, they get they got in on the ground floor, um, so tonight we are going to be talking about one of uh steven's picks things have been getting a little too male in here you know what i'm saying our testosterone levels are usually at a 10 um as we uh talk about artists and bands that generally have a lot of uh men a lot of men steve rectified that finally uh, when Eric did the uh, the the call of taking garbage off of the roll call and putting on Peter Gabriel, a man who is as horny as the three of us combined, um, Stephen here decided, you know what, enough. We got to put a stop to this T levels that we uh, we throw into this podcast. And Stephen suggested and selected Florence and the Machine's "Ceremonials" from 2011. So if you're following along, that's that's the album we're going to talk about today. And I'm curious, listeners, like when you see like the, you know, the episode title, do you listen to the album first and then uh, go and listen to us, you know, have some things about it? Or do you listen to us first and then go back and make your own opinions? Sound off in the comments.
1: (laughs) I assume most of our listeners are like me when I see a podcast and the topic is something I like, I'm like, Oh, I'll listen to this right now because I know this like the back of my hand. But if it's something that I'm not familiar with, I'll like, uh, give it 20 minutes and then be like, ah, I'm done with the podcast. I'm not going to check this out or I will check it out. So that's what I think. I think that they, li- to answer your question mark for all the listeners, and I am the listener rep, I believe our <laughs> listeners, they listen to us first and then decide if the album is worth their time. That's what I think. What do you think, Eric?
2: I actually have gotten some feedback about this by one listener in general, uh, uh, actually previous guest of the show, Brian strand. And I don't know if he's doing this anymore, but for a while there, he would listen to our podcast. And then when we would say, okay, and let's listen to track two piggy, he would pause our podcast and then listen to the entire song on the album and then stop the album and come back to our podcast. (laughs)
1: exhausting exhausting it's a, that's a waste of so, his time you stop that brian you know you've speed, got better things. Eight,
0: five do. hours of his day right there knowing how long yeah. our podcasts go so, that'll,
1: that'll that'll end families it'll you'll, you'll lose your job if you keep that up it's too much work but a, so a just for like effort. fox
0: news we report you decide a for effort so uh, before we get into you know uh, florence and her m- machine um Let's go and check what we normally do in our award-winning segments of plugging holes. And if you heard about this, uh, but first, any wrecks, any plugs, any holes that need to be plugged this evening? Like I said, the testosterone levels on this show are always at a peak.
1: Yeah, no, we're real. We're we're a real uh, bunch of B rolls of trains going into tunnels back and forth.
0: Um, <laughs> Choo-choo and, no, Speaking actually, of which, all, it was Eric's birthday all, yesterday I was gonna
1: say, yeah, we're all 42-year-olds <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, I, we're, I, yeah I, I think this is the wrong podcast In case you want something from the manosphere Or anything but um Jesus, I, I twisted my, my nephew Spent the night Friday and I twisted my ankle Trying to re- wrestle with the kids And I'm still trying to get my act together two days later this is a, We're falling apart, old age Anyhow, Eric, you're 42 now, too. Good for you.
2: That's right. I've joined the club, 42 Club. It's fine. It's fine.
1: Um, Recommendations. Recommendations. You got anything, Eric? I got a couple.
2: Sure. Uh, There's this movie. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. The Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom. It's uh, Angel Studios. No, I'm just kidding. You guys haven't heard. You really haven't oh, heard about this
0: with Jim Caviezel. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it uh, apparently <laughs> grossed more money than Indiana Jones. Good job. It was, uh, it was
1: funny about that is that I was actually I was going to make a Mel Gibson Braveheart joke. Uh, I had no idea that it was, it was Jim Caviezel who's Jesus yeah. in Mel Gibson's movie. This is the, this. Is, I
0: think this those year. are the only type of movies Jim Caviezel makes these days.
1: It's it's this year's Father Stew, uh, a poor know, man's. <laughs> A poor man's guy, Pierce. That's what Jim Caviezel is.
0: It's true. You know, he was struck by lightning during the making of A Passion of the Christ. But that's neither here nor there. Right, there you go. I'm sure he was. But what is your recommendation besides The Sound of Freedom, which, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm uh, uh, upset with Cinemark for not uh, stacking the theaters with that one. So.
2: Ah. Oh yes, um, so there is a oh, Eric heads out there have been probably uh, you know feeling feeling my pain. There's been a drought in the industrial music genre, but just last month, a, the old stalwarts, uh, the 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 of the industrial metal subgenre, Godflesh released an album called Purge, and it it it, it it's chunky and it 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 rocks. Also, a throwback to their early 90s, like Slave State albums, where there's a little like EBM influence to the beats, even though it's got some like uh, like doom metal riffs and and vocals over the top. It's a it's a fun one. I like it. It Sounds great. Uh, Good to know they're still they're still chugging along. Godflesh.
1: Yeah, Godflesh. Godflesh is a foundational cornerstone to the sledge metal uh, uh, genre, in my opinion, and also in industrial um good stuff I haven't listened to it yet though I should but I I will listen to anything Justin Broderick plays on or produces. I subscribe to his work
2: thanks to Steve for for making sure I pushed me in the right direction uh, with them years ago so good stuff but yeah th- those are my plugs
0: <laughs> Just to clarify you are actually plugging sound of freedom just so everyone knows <laughs> where it stands. <laughs>
3: Did you
2: Those know were his the,
0: plugs. Did, he said plural.
2: Did you know that the the, the Christian studio that put it out, because it's basically like ripped from the QAnon Reddit, right? That's the whole pl- plot of this movie is about child trafficking or whatever. So um, the the studio, Angel Studios, that put it out, obviously by the name a Christian Studio, they got their start being you could send them DVDs of, say, Police Academy. And they would edit out all the bad words for you, and then send it back to you. Like this is this is the production. Company. They made a lot of,
1: they made a, a shit ton of money off Titanic, and I'm not being sarcastic. That was the. Yeah. Can you take the kitties out of Titanic when he paints her like the French girls? <laughs> <laughs> like, I oh, can't. I, I can't have my sophomore high school class watching such things.
0: Yeah. yeah. To be a twelve-year-old in that household, just no fun. No fun.
2: No fun at all. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not. I am encouraging everybody to read about it because it makes me laugh, but don't don't give them any money.
1: Uh, generally, I want I want to do the research. I will spend, I don't have much time, none of us do. I really feel like I don't have enough time. I feel like I get nothing. I have all these things I want to get done and the things that I need to get done get stacked on top of the other things I need to get done and you got work and whatever. But I I will set time aside To look up to see if they actually edited a copy of Captain Ron to get that one nipple out of there. Let's uh... hope not. (laughs) Yeah. What the resistance to get that? You don't, you know, that that nipple is a secret among playgrounds across the history. I guarantee Uh, if it
0: does show up on Disney Plus, that thing is out. (laughs) Get that out of here. Uh, uh. Can't have that. We can have (laughs) Crows chucking and jiving in Dumbo, but we cannot have Terry Gar. Is it Terry Gar? No, Mary, Mary Mary
2: Mary K. Place. Mary
1: K. Place.
0: Yeah. Mary yeah. K. Place. Of course, Eric has that IMDb page <laughs> bookmarked.
1: Exactly, pulled right up. <laughs> well, the reason the reason that the reason because of that is because Mary K. Place is obviously his wife, one of her favorite actresses, and she that makes him watch all her movies.
0: So, absolutely, yes. Hardly
1: my plugs all right so we'll st- we'll get we'll go with the topical one i went and saw the new indiana jones and i enjoyed it thoroughly i thought it was i mean it's the fourth best Indiana. no probably the third best indiana jones movie i think i might like better Temple of do them time will tell but it was good and it was much better than four and i, I double checked with some people and i was like it- it's better than four right i'm not just thinking this because i want to and everybody- no this is a better movie I really liked the fleabag lady. I never watched fleabag, but I liked her in this movie. Uh, Phoebe, great. Waller Bridge. yeah, good stuff. Funny, uh, smart, uh, could punch, uh, really, it was, it was fun. I, I'd watch a spinoff of her character. Um, the one thing in it that made me laugh and I was glad they did it. It was so bad. It was good. Um, <laughs> they did the whole de-aging thing for two scenes uh, flashback scenes, and yeah, it looked good. It looked about as good as that's ever going to look. It looked better than the Irishman did, I think.
0: I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Is Harrison Ford still kind of shuffling around like Robert Robert <laughs> Bobby D did in the well, Irishman?
1: The shu- I mean, the shuffling's one thing, but Harrison Ford sounds like the oldest man in history. <laughs> 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 and then, and then so 40, it's 40-year-old 40 year old Harrison Ford opens his mouth and he's like, Wow, uh, I'm dealing uh, with Nazis again, and it's 1939. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> he sounds na- so old.
2: <laughs> he's Nazis! I actually,
1: yeah. actually like that they decided to just go with it and don't try to. I was like, Whatever. I was like, I'm right here with you guys. What are you going to do? Either recast it or do this, <laughs> whatever this is. But uh yeah. 5 is good. I took the. Yeah, uh, my seven-year-old likes watching movies I like now. We watch Jaws and Fourth of July. We watch the Back of the Future trilogy. He watches he watches the whole movies. I'm not used to this. It's fun. I'm trying not to push it. I'm trying not to be, you know, eat your vegetables, watch all the movies I want to watch. But right now, he's watching some of those 80s classics. Took him to see this. He sat there for the whole thing. It was great.
2: Yeah, um, said, Me and Lennox have uh, a yeah. movie, night, movie night together, and, and it's great. Yeah, and he's open to it. Uh, that's, yeah. Just make a thing out of it and show him whatever. So it's great, um, but yeah, I, I saw Indy Five also, and I agree with you. I mean, I think it actually has a lot more characterization and heart than Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom just has those like the classic set pieces of the er- of the era, but um, it certainly has. Uh, it's not so di- goddamn dismal, di- post-divorce dismal as Temple of Doom for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: this one had some good heart in it. Um, it had a lot of, ch- I mean, all the indie movies are chases for the MacGuffins, but this one just felt like a constant chase. That was fine. One thing that was funny was another scene with old age stuff is that uh, they meet this, th- they go to Spain and they have this scene with the boat and this old boat crew and they're old friends of Indies. And um, they get this old Spanish guy. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, that's awesome. They got a. They got Pedro Pascal from you know this that and the other thing, and they put old age makeup on him. That's a curious choice. I was watching it, and I finished the movie, and I was watching the credits, and I was like, "Oh wait, no, that was Antonio Banderas." <laughs> the old person boots himself. <laughs> so, old 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 Antonio Banderas to me with a beard looks like uh, Pedro Pascal with make makeup on. Um, but it, I it was enjoyable, and also yes, Mark the. Uh, the true heads know that, uh, the fate of Atlantis is the real third best indie story. And this one has a bunch of stuff in Greece and whatnot, which kind of made it in that same vein. So that was fun. Um, so that's my movie recommendation. And my song recommendation is going way back. Album recommendation. I got it. I got a record player and I've been, i uh, been buying the, the cheapest used records I can find. Cause I am a miser. Um, and I got a copy of uh, Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin. And I tell you, man, record. that, that record's great. Um, yeah, is that their best album? Maybe? Probably. It's it, it's It gets to the point. It's got hard songs. It's got weird songs. It's got songs when I was a kid I hated. Like, I hated when Dire Maker came on the radio, but I love that song now. Um, it's got No Quarter. It's got the Rain song. Dancing Days. It's just a great record. And Led Zeppelin's better than the Beatles. So anyhow, that's uh, House of the Holy by Led Zeppelin is my recommendation. Real hot take. It's a good record.
0: <laughs> Does it also have Trampled Underfoot? That one, I don't know. It has, or, a, no?
1: it has a, what is it? Over the Hills and Far Away. Um, okay. It's got, I mean, the one song in there that's not really like a well-known one is The Crudge, which is a good weird song. Um, that record's one of the weirder Led Zeppelin albums. And then physical graffiti is even weirder than that one. It came after it. They're both good, though. Uh, Houses of the Holy is my recommendation by Led Zeppelin. Little Gnome Band. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them before.
0: Cruise last year took the world by storm with Top Gun Maverick, and he's doing it again. What, about so, the year
1: before that? what did he put out the year before
0: that? Oh God, I don't know. But you know, <laughs> not to go on a, on a on a on a on a path here, but Jen brought up something that I didn't even think about. Like we never see the Tom Cruise and Magnolia, Vanilla Sky anymore. We we just get one version of Tom Cruise this day and age. Um, him. Stopping a train with a bungee cord—that's the Tom Cruise that we get, and
1: yeah, he, does, he doesn't make normal don't do movies that. anymore because they—they don't—they don't sell, so he's not making them anymore. But they're not making as much anymore either. If you're gonna make a movie with like a storyline like Magnolia, it's gonna be some A24 film, and you're not gonna have the money to get Tom Cruise. That you're gonna have, have the Adam Sandler money. <laughs> yeah. Paul,
2: Paul Thomas Anderson showed him a cut of The Master, and he allegedly stormed out. And that was the last they spoke. And uh, PTA, of course, gave Not true. The best I best think. Roll. <laughs> not true? Not true. I think I, I
0: think they've mended. It's not necessarily a lie, but Tom apparently was not so happy with it. And, oh, okay. And I think that he's really trying to pivot away from like being known as the Scientology guy. He's Mr. Yeah. Like, I'm just doing this for the fans, and I just love to entertain you, and I love you all, and thank you for giving me the privilege. So... Jump couching or couch jumping, Tom Cruise, <laughs> and uh, talking to Matt Lauer about being glib. I think those are I, you know obviously I, the. I the love past. I
2: love I love Tom for trying to save cinema and all that he does. Like like he will he will he will go out doing a stunt, and that's how he wants to go out. And I think it's great. It's he's he's amazing. Uh, but I mean, I do. I just thought that little aside about his falling out with PTA was interesting. But
3: anyway,
0: but I think PTA has gone on a couple of podcasts and say no, we're all good. So
2: okay, well that's good. I'm glad they. I'm glad they all type. They yeah. They all Well,
0: no, he
1: doesn't want to be. He needs to say that. So you know the the the, the night patrol from Scientology doesn't kill him.
0: He knows where he lives. He lives in yeah. the the <laughs> this, the den. Um, the sound of freedom gets into this. I'm going to tell some truth right now. Uh, just Jim Caviezel <laughs> <laughs> gets to the bottom of it. Um, all right. All that's right. enough for that.
1: All right. We've said Jim Caviezel's name more than three times. He's going to appear in my house. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if that's enough with the Rex, Let's go on to have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? I've got some news items. I want to know if you've heard about them. All right. Let's hope that my notes I made last night when I went to the uh, super-powered. Can you hear about this computer? Which is me sitting there and be like, "What bands have we talked about?" And googling them. Um, let's see. June 16th. Have you heard about this? I know Eric has. Well, you might. You both might have. But I think Eric might have actually heard it. Uh, June 16th. Killer Mike from Run the Jewels put a new album out called Michael. His first uh, solo album since. Rap music came out about 11 years ago.
0: Rap Michael. music only came out 11 years ago, huh? Wow. <laughs> yep. The album called Rap Music. The genre, not the music. <laughs> yeah, um, I there. made a funny. Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I look for how to mute the host. Um, yeah, isn't uh, Michael, Eric, have you listened to it? I
2: did not, actually. Uh, I read some stuff. Well, uh, where he said he was making a gospel album, and I'm not, I'm not interested. So, it's not was, no, no. Anyways, <laughs> all right.
1: It's not a gospel album. I listened to it. It sounds like Killer Mike. Um, it's got a variety of producers, Eric it's not is, just LP, uh, boycotting is boycotting
0: killer. killer Mike because right. of his stance on the NRA. We all know this.
2: <laughs> I mean, okay, this like, little, his little soft, this little soft right politics did rub me the wrong way. But I will
3: listen
1: to it. I'll check it out. I mean, I, I will always love Run the Jewels. I'd I give it a B. B, B minus. It's good enough. Good enough is what I'll say about Michael by like Killer Mike. Um, he's got a, an Andre 3000 on it. Usually, hey. that guy doesn't make, doesn't make a lot of music. So that was that. was good. That was that. And, and then uh, did you guys hear about th- I know Mark heard about this. Uh, dead in Company, Dead in Company, The Further Adventures of the Grateful Dead. Uh, they played at Oracle in Oakland, and the drummer was wearing a shirt that said Sell on it, and uh, green and yellow. And those Sell T-shirts have been fly they've been floating around the MLB, and there people buying shirts to say, Hey, Oakland A's owner, sell the team because you're terrible. And they were playing in Oakland, so he wore that shirt. The reason I bring that up is because Jay Lane's the drummer, and Jay Lane used to be in Primus. So he's in uh, he's in the Grateful Dead uh, version of the Grateful Dead now that exists. He's drumming in Oakland. He's from the, uh, the Bay Area, and so he wore the Cell shirt. That made me happy as a fan of Primus, the old Jay Lane protesting. What do you think about that, Mark? Did you hear about that?
0: I didn't hear about that until you brought it to my attention. First, I was more like, oh, shit, Jay Lane is with Dead & Company. I know that John Mayer every now and then floats around into uh, that orbit. Um, But with the Fearless Flying Frog Brigade also in full swing, I was thinking, why isn't he drumming for less right now? But whatever, obviously, he's got money to get made. Maybe he hasn't been working with Les and I don't know. That's a blind spot. Like, ever since um you know Les, we we talked about Old Primus, so we don't really need to get into his weirdness. Um, working on probably a Willy Wonka part two soundtrack. Starring Timothy Chameley coming this Christmas. <laughs> uh yeah but that's cool i'm glad i mean uh, at the more that i want the oakland A's to stay because it seems that uh not to get into too much of a sports talk but the a's once they move to vegas which seems like they're going to get rubber stamped their way through that um there's going to be two more expansion teams in mlb in the two cities that are really in contention right now are nashville and portland i'd really really if I had an alternate, I would really want the A's to move to Portland. That would be great. But say lovey.
1: Yeah, we will see. I hope the public shaming of John Fisher is enough for him to sell, but probably not. Probably not. Uh, the rest, the rest of the ownership, the, all the owners of the other teams are going to be like, no, we can't punish this guy because then we can't be terrible when we want to. So, anyhow, moving I mean, on. Jay Lane.
0: I mean, god damn it! I just let me just say this: the A's. Like, that fan base and just, like, the whole team ethos seems to fit so perfectly into Portland. And the fact that they're moving down to Solis, Las Vegas to be a Siegfried and Roy show, it's not great. It's not great.
1: No. I'd Like, if I learned that, I don't know, the Nationals or the Brewers, no, not the Brewers. Brewers fit where they're at. I don't know. Yeah, there's other teams where if they move to Portland, be like, eh. Or I'm sorry, to, to Vegas. they would be like, eh, whatever. But yeah, you take the Oakland A's out of Oakland, and you're just kind of like, all right, you might as well just rename them and rebrand them because it's not even going to be the same thing in Vegas. Exactly. Um, anyhow, that's enough of that. Let's see. Uh, have you guys listened to S- The Smile, that Radiohead side project? Have you heard about they them?
0: Have. Yeah, they're good. I, not to yeah. say that I can name you a single song, but they—they they do the trick. If you're needing a Radiohead scratch,
2: we we dipped our well, toes in that in that album on the uh, that, uh, the, that uh, Kid A episode.
1: Did, did we? Well, some some of us did. Apparently, it
2: was more um,
0: of just a kiddie pool dipping a toe into a kitty pool. But yes.
1: Well, they're on tour in the United sure. States. That's that's the news. There, they're on tour. The Smiles on tour. If you want to see. Tom York and Paul Thomas Anderson's cohort uh Johnny Greenwood play music without the rest of Radiohead you go see the smile they're on tour right now and then uh, uh did we already talk about how stop making sense is coming back to theaters sure previous episode okay great the final news item with talking heads great film stop making sense is coming back to theaters in August 18th. That's a great movie. You should go see it in theaters. So, scraping the bottom of the barrel for news this week. I tried, guys. Couldn't find much. You know, David Bowie's dead, and Trent Reznor doesn't want to make music anymore, so I got to do what I can do and try to find other things.
0: Brent Reznor talking about Dua Lipa was our hot news item on our last episode. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh
2: wait, he did. He did announce a new soundtrack, a new a new score, other than Turtles, which we talked about. Was that when they debuted Threads, the new social media thing? His first post was that he is doing some oh, yeah. like some like uh, score to a uh,
0: Zendaya movie. I don't know what Zend- it is. Yeah, Zendaya about a movie about it it It's like. about a
2: threesome. It is about a threesome. Tennis player have a threesome. Too.
3: There
0: you go. There you go. That could be Dune 2. I don't know. I I think (laughs) Eric is going to be like, what did you say? Say that again, (laughs) motherfucker.
1: And the Machines' 2011 album *Ceremonials* is what we'll be talking about tonight. It's a 12-track record that I picked. Um, we'll go into a little Florence history, and then we'll just dive right into it. I think it's appropriate that we're talking about Florence and the Machine after talking about the Arcade Fire. Arcade Fire being one of the biggest indie acts of the zero zeros and the the tens into the twenties. And Florence and the Machine is definitely an indie pop act that followed them that has a very big sound. That, uh, you know, there were times where I'm sure they were both up for a Grammy. So, good, good band to be following up the Arcade Fire with. Uh, a little bit of the Florence and the Machine history. I mean, it's, it's Florence and the Machine. Uh, Florence Welch, um, an art school kid from London. And uh, The the band, you know, they got together in 2007 They put out their first album in 2009 Which was Lungs Um, uh, They, you know, she she, Growing up, she was always Kind of the biggest voice in the choir She was also kind of a scamp And she put those two things together And went to art school Started listening to The Cure And Susie and the Banshees And uh, formed a band pulled from the those genres of uh i don't know ghosts and haunted houses uh, being in love with each other um but also just as much you know when she was growing up her parents got divorced and she was young and she immediately had two step siblings that uh, made her very protective of what was close to her and uh, also a grandmother that unfortunately died of suicide you roll all that stuff together and you can kind of see that in some of her lyrics um the rest of the band is uh uh isabella summers who's been there from the start back back to her art school days uh plays the keyboards the synthesizers and does the backing vocals robert ackroyd he's been in the band since the start he plays guitars and the bass tom monger who's been there since the start he's the xylophone percussion and the harp so, you know, that guy should get a... Uh, whatever they're all making, the guy that plays the harp should be making more. Um, uh, Cyrus Bayador joined the band to play bass in 2018. Uh, Aku Tedich joined the band in 2018 and does percussion and keyboards. Dion Douglas joined in 2018 and plays the violin. And Lauren Humphrey joined in 2018 and plays more drums. And this band has a lot of drums, so that's why they have a lot of uh, drummers. But the the way they got their start, like I said, 2007, they were kind of just running around London, Isabella and Florence, uh, kind of new romantic Gothic kids staying up late and drinking all the time and writing songs while they were drunk. Uh, The name Florence and the machine came from Florence's teenage collaboration with Isabella machine summers. And uh, the first time, they performed, they named themselves Florence Robot a Machine. Uh, it was kind of a private joke. They took a look at it. And then when they started writing more songs, they're like, there's no way that we can, even even in the in the weird London art house world, Florence Robot a Machine, no one's going to come see us. So let's change it to Florence and the Machine. Considering she was a Susie and the Banshees fan, uh, I can definitely see the connection there. Um, they got a couple of their friends. Uh, Robert and then they uh, started playing playing gigs and by 2009 they put out the album lungs Uh, lungs was very popular um, mainly because of the song the dog days are over. going to ask you this but mark back then did you happen to hear that song on the radio
0: or around do you remember i heard it. i heard it around but i think i first heard about florence and the machine when they've had a couple saturday night live appearances and i think that's what my first introduction to florence and the machine was and uh dog days was certainly the first Thing that I ever heard of her so yeah on the radio I wasn't listening to the radio either so I mean maybe while the wife was shopping I probably heard it in the background or something like that
1: yeah and, and when they I mean the interesting thing is is that when they started to become popular I mean around 2008 and 2009 that's kind of when I don't know the physical media is definitely already started plummeting but I mean, this, the rise of streaming was there, but also the rise of artists who could get a record contract or whatever a record contract is in those days and these days and never played live before, like Lana Del Rey, um, and become very popular. This band did not do that. I mean, they performed at some pubs in London, but also like they were very well known for their live performances. Florence's voice was almost too big for those small clubs they played in too big of a sound and so yeah the lungs comes out in 2009 uh ceremonials which we'll talk about tonight comes out in 2011. uh 2015 is how big how blue how beautiful uh, 2018 high is hope and then their fifth album and i love the title uh last year's uh, dance fever <laughs> which is just a good title um they became very popular very quick Uh, somewhere there's like a Venn diagram out there. I mean, we'll take it back to, it's just, you know, arcade fire fans, Adele fans and Taylor Swift fans. Probably in the middle of all those, you have a lot of, uh, Florence and the machine fans, but then also I think they appeal to, uh, you know, cure fans, fans of just, uh, you know, rock bands, but also your, your, your gothier bands. Uh, I imagine and then anyone that's probably a fan of you know, st- strong female vocals, you're going to drift towards it. Um, the sound in general, as we're going to go over tonight, I mean, at its base, it's her voice. That's the main point. Like, you come there for her voice. That's, it's uh, probably whatever operatic, op- operatic singer you find, she can hit those notes. Um, a gale force wind, uh, probably one of the best vocalists I've ever heard. Very powerful and can go all over the map. A lot of percussion. I mean, almost slipknot levels of percussion, the at minimum two drummers, maybe three string sections, usually harps and a lot of keyboards and pianos and, uh, sometimes guitars that's their sound it's a, uh, it's it could be indie pop it could be indie rock sometimes it rears into r&b um chamber pop uh if it's not baroque don't fix it is kind of what i think of when i listen to them
4: i need my golden crown of sorrow my bloody sword to swing my
1: And uh, yeah, that's kind of Florence and the Machine in a nutshell. It's usually not what I. like if you look at my record collection, this is the only band like this that I kind of listen to that sounds like this. I mean, I don't know. I like Adele too, but what it, it, the only similarities between her and Adele is that they're both very they're, they're both younger women who got popular around the same time and have great voices. Adele's drifts more towards typical R and B fare, where this is much more alternative rock with a powerhouse vocalist. So that's kind of the summary of Florence and the Machine. I'm sure there's people listening to this right now that could explain them better than I can. And that's great. We're not experts about everything we talk about, even when we love it. Uh, my vocabulary to speak about this band is not going to be nearly as in-depth as if when we're talking about something like Behemoth or KMFTM. <laughs> Anyhow, did did you guys listen to all the albums in addition to this one? I am no mother
0: I did. I see uh, it was a quick, brisk run through. Only five studio records. I didn't necessarily listen to all of the different accoutrements, like, because if you look there's a on, lot. It, yeah. there's a lot. There's deluxe editions, there's complete editions, there's B sides, there's singles. Um, I mean, like if you're a, a big super fan, there is a lot of material outside of the five studio albums to really dig into a lot um, of
1: remixes for the airheads out there. My God, a lot of remixes
0: and a lot of her music. And we'll talk about the track by track kind of lends itself to remixes, um, especially kind of her more poppy stuff, but, or their poppy stuff. It's not necessarily just Florence. There is definitely a band yeah. effort here. And I have to always like correct myself on that. Mm-hmm
1: yeah because without that band i mean if she was just wailing it would still be good but no the band they put in some work man that's and the writing too when you look at the you know uh, the the main four that have been in the band the entire time helped write a lot of the songs so it's definitely a band effort
0: yeah i mean um looking at the discography um you know, spoiler alert, I know we're not really going to go through a analysis on each of her studio albums, but I'll just say how big, how blue, how beautiful. Uh, that one took me by surprise, her third record from 2015. Uh, it has some incredibly rocking moments uh, that you don't really necessarily see very often on the rest of her catalog, or the rest of their catalog, excuse me. <laughs> So that was i mean i think there's a song mother that just absolutely rocks that's a good um, one how big how blue how beautiful i mean the whole record seems to have of and i didn't read any of the lyrics but just going off of the theme i could definitely say it was about earth <laughs> it seemed that way at least um or just nature um i don't know that was the kind of the the thing that i was like kind of uh my brain was sticking to on that one. My least favorite of hers was the 2018, uh, and it wasn't necessarily bad. It was just kind of more sparse and more stripped down. It was high as hope, uh, and uh, but dance fever, ceremonials, and lungs. I mean, she, they have a pretty consistent discography that really does uh, kind of expand and develop their musical palette pretty well um at some points it really does try to put her vocals in the forefront especially on highest hope i like more of the band effort where the production values is just really more layered and and complex so yeah i mean it wasn't bad but i do have to ask you steven like how did you stumble across this because sometimes as i'm listening to this especially even the record that we're going to talk about i'm like how did steve like get hooked into to this particular band versus like an Adele or a Lord, two other female vocalists that kind of were hitting around the same time
1: i want to hear eric's opinion on the general discography real quick and then we'll go over to our our Florence histories of which i don't think there's much for you two and uh i'll give mine and then later tonight on a particular track from this record i will share something with you both that'll blow your mind or maybe not uh eric did you listen to the other albums I did. I did. I listened to all the albums.
2: Uh, it was a great listen through. And like, I was coming in as a blushing virgin. I have, did not even, I couldn't have picked a song out of the lineup. Just like even. your wedding night. Love it. <laughs> but uh, despite the fact that her voice is like, un, like obvi- obviously that's, that's Florence. Like that, like her voice is so obvious. I just, it's just not something I had a lot of exposure to before. Um, and you know, I would say like their best albums, um, the one you mentioned, uh, how big, how beautiful, uh, this particular one we're talking about and it's gothy goodness and the, uh, Giorgio Maraudery dance fever. Like those are my, those are my favorite ones because they're the, the band sticks to a theme and is doing something interesting. Um, but sometimes we get floor, the Florence show and the band's not necessarily catching my attention on some of those other albums. Um, and I get it. They're just like the brick. They're like laying the bricks for her to do her thing. And that's fine. Uh, but when they shine, it's where it all kind of comes together with a the theme. And I'm really happy you picked this particular record. To talk about.
1: This is not my favorite one. My favorite one is the same one that is uh, Mark mentioned. How big, how blue, how beautiful. I, I dug that one since it first came out. Maybe it's because that was the first one that came out after I dubbed myself a fan. Yeah. Lungs is kind of all over the place, but it has some high highs. Uh, you hear the band still trying to find their footing, but it has their biggest hit. That uh, the dog days are over. Um, ceremonials to talk about tonight: how big, how blue, how beautiful. Yeah, that song "Mother" is great. It's a, it's a, it's a, like a weird, sexy rocker song. It's, it's good. Um, not much to say about "High as Hope." It's not bad. It's just my least favorite one. It's just kind of this band has such a big sound; they can't sound that big all the time. And I think that "High as Hope" was where they were like, ah, we're kind of tired. <laughs> but then they. I feel like they got their groove back on dance fever and uh da- dance fever's opening track king i don't know if you guys remember that one but the opening track has this moment where you think the song is over and then it comes back and she starts just wailing and she's not even singing the words she's just wailing like she can do and she carries this note for so long and i almost crashed my car listening to it once <laughs> i was just like jesus uh so the song king off dance fever is great um I like, the, yeah, I celebrate their entire discography, uh, and the one thing that's constant on all of them is amazing vocals, obviously. But also, they all have varying songcraft and styles to a certain extent, which I appreciate. And in addition to harps, a lot of them have like every goddamn instrument in the book on some track or another. So, so yeah, as far as our histories with Florence, it sounds like Eric didn't have one, except movies and TV shows where he was hearing their music and didn't realize it. Um, Cause there's many of those Mark knew of their existence from Saturday night live and they didn't really listen to them. And uh, yeah, I, I was camping a long time ago, 2010 ish. And we woke up one morning and there's this music playing. And I was like, what is this fairy music? I'm like, what is this? It sounds like, you know, dancing in a meadow stuff. And it was the album lungs.
0: Steven from the guy from falling down.
1: And so my friend said, uh, yeah, this sounds like lawyer music because our friend of ours that had it on is a lawyer. And I was just like, yep, this is, this is lawyer music.
0: O- old Councilman Jam. All right. I was like, yep, this is,
1: this is lawyer music and I got no time for it. Whatever this is, not for me. I'm hungover over. I'm back to sleep. And about a year later, this, the Florence is coming to San Francisco and Councilman Jam asked me if I wanted to go see them live at the mezzanine. And I was like, No not that band, I do want nothing to do with this and so uh, my wife, who he's friends with as well went in, in instead and apparently it was one of the greatest concerts they ever saw, Florence and the Machine at the Mezzanine uh, a sound so big it, you could barely handle it and I missed it and I was like, fine, looks like, looks like I missed something great whatever uh, not my thing and then one of the tracks that we'll discuss tonight I saw it in a piece of media and I was like, what is that song? That's great. Wait a minute. That's Florence and the Machine. Hold on. And then I went back and listened to both their albums. they had at that time. And I was like, fuck, this is actually really good. I think I'm a Florence and the Machine fan now. And so then there's a band that, you know, I like and that my wife likes. And uh, from that point on, I started listening to them. We saw them at the shoreline together. Yeah, my old lady and I and a friend of ours. And even though it wasn't as good as the mezzanine, I mean, the mezzanine's about the size of my house. The Shoreline is one of those amphitheaters to where it just echoes into oblivion. But the good thing about Florence and the Machine is, is that live, if you see them outside like that, you, she can make any uh, arena, that, you know, she's going to hit the back of the seats with that voice. So it's still a good show. And uh, yeah, I, I, I came around in a hard way. It, it was funny. I, I was against it. And then I, 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 I was caught off guard when I saw it in a trailer for a TV show. And I was like, wait a minute, this band has a lot of depth, a lot of variety. They're actually very good. And I think I'd really like this band a lot now. So there you go, that's my story. Um, knowing they had to win me over, they put this album together and uh, it was recorded at Abbey Road, uh, the famous Abbey Road Studios. This is back when the band was still a little younger. A lot of late nights, a lot of drinking, a lot of writing songs while hungover or drunk. But uh, it all came together pretty good, and we should start talking about it. So let's take a five minute break. No, not five minutes, three minutes. Just take a break. And we'll come back and we'll talk about the first song on the album Ceremonials, which is Only If For a Night.
3: That was the right way to
2: Like, oh, I gotta stay a little late today. Uh, and, and I was like, Well, I gotta stay till four. And she's like, Well, you make a lot more money than me, Eric. That was our last conversation
0: we had. <laughs> oh so, <good> so. boy. <laughs> little Peggy and John Hamm situation, little Don Draper. Solidarity.
4: And I had a dream about my old school. And she was there all pink and gold. Threw my arms around her legs Came
3: to weep, came to weep, came to weep
1: Four Nights, the first song off of 2011 Ceremonials which the album was released to reviews that uh, were just stellar Um, and then then it ended up making a lot of album of the year lists, Q Magazine gave it album of the year, Time had it as the second best album of the year Uh, the AV Club named it the 26th best record of the year Billboard album said it was the 8th best album of the year. Uh, Rolling Stone ranked the album at number 27 of the 50 best albums of the year. So it did rank kind of all over the place on the best of the years. That Q magazine gave it album of the year. Uh, a lot of people said, "Yep, yeah, this is a good good, good progression from the album Lungs. It sounds like they kind of figured out what they want to do and they're going to stick to It's it, it the opener of the album. And I didn't compare them side by side. But I I do think that the records, Lungs and this one, this album, even though it has a bigger sound, I think it's pared down from Lungs. I don't think there's as much instrumentation, uh, but the sound is still very large. And uh, I mean, this song is like many of the others. It's going to have a lot of harps. Um, Florence and the Machine use about as many harps as uh, probably the only other comparable artist is uh, Joanna Newsom. Uh, who's married to Andy Sandberg, who's also an Oakland A's fan. Uh, I'm sitting around listening to Joanna Newsom a lot, but I know she's a harp player, but yeah, this song has a lot of drifting harps and pianos, a lot about singing, about memories, about school. And then after about a minute of that, you just get the drums and then the bass and the violins. And this album's telling you with the first track, like it's going to have a big sound and you're just going to deal with it. And you kind of get the idea of it right out of the gate. Uh, booming pianos and lyrics about standing there and fighting. And that kind of sums up a lot of uh, Florence ethos. Um, she has a lot of lyrics about, I'm not going to take this anymore and I'm going to fight back. A lot of the other lyrics you're going to have from Florence is in this first track, such things as ghosts, graveyards, rituals, ceremonies, dream imagery, uh, all tied together with a bunch of uh, snapping and pounding and clanging. And I think it's a great opener because you can't open with track two, which is an even better song. So you're going to start with only for a night. Uh, it climaxes with a bunch of chants and string and violins and a bunch of vocalizations on top of each other. And this is not the first time this album makes me think of the movie The Witch and how it ended. It, and it's, 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 not, it's not the first time or the last time uh, that I'll bring up The Witch tonight.
2: You you brought up Andy Sandberg. I just was watching the film Pop Star Never Stop Stopping today and my my kids came down to sit and watch it. And my kids are teenagers uh, or preteens and teenagers. So there's some bad language whatever. So they they were loving it. They were howling. And then a the, and then the then the dick scene shows. That <laughs> was I was like I'm I'm sorry children. I'm so sorry. Oh boy. But they loved it. Was, that went over like gangbusters. The dick okay. scene or the movie? The, the, whole Both? movie. The, the, the whole movie. The whole movie. The whole movie. No, my, my Tulula was like hand over eyes during that. She didn't want to see any of that. Any of that nonsense. Uh, all right. Well. No one the, ever does. Only if for a night. Uh, lyrics. She wrote it about a dream she had. A deceased grandmother giving her advice that she could actually use in real life. This whole, like, just kind of giving her strength kind of thing. Um, and it and there's some little imagery here that will that will tie threads throughout the album. Actually, this is a great follow-up to Arcade Fire. There's a lot of of ocean imagery in this album. Um, and it, right off the bat, oceans and ghosts, setting the table.
1: Like, I if you take a shot every time they bring up a river or an ocean on this thing, you're going to be drunker than if you took shots when uh, people pop up as cameos in True Romance.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so like, you know, right off the bat, I'm a big fan of her lyrics. Um, she is very dramatic and theatrical in her delivery and she can back it up with some pretty heavy, uh, lyrical content. And it's never always just uplifting rah, rah. It does feel that way, but it's, there's always a, an anchor to the, um, the underside of that and the, and the heavy emotions that come with it. Um, it's 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 slow. it's a little bouncy. um it's a lot of, it's really a swirly song. um based on our our pod like a whole algorithm. I don't know if it would be a track one ideally, maybe a track two, but the way it sets the stage for the rest of the album, I think
1: it works.
0: yeah, so this opener it has a huge sound. Uh, not only I feel that it could fill a concert hall, but I feel like it could f- like fill a shoreline amphitheater where. Uh, There's a lot of space to really fill in that particular theater. The vocal delivery of Only a Four and Night is an earworm. Uh, It's great. I think that what Florence and the Machine, especially on this record, uh, they have some hooks in a lot of their songs and most of their songs. The performance lends itself to a female warrior about to hit the battlefield with orchestral drums, providing volume to the song, which I think is their stock and trade. When I dived in a little further about what the the meaning of this song was about, um, you can kind of see it in the lyrics that, you know, she was having a dream and she saw her grandmother, who she was obviously very close to, and I did not know that she passed away by suicide. Florence was only 11 when this all happened, apparently. And she was giving Florence some advice about her career. Uh, She was also inspired by Joan of Arc, uh, who also had a song by our previous subject called Joan of Arc on uh, Reflector by Arcade Fire. But yeah, this song has church bells and that was the inspiration for Florence to write a song about her grandmother. And at first, you know, the song called Only a Four a Night, it could be about the F-U-C-K-N, but it's not. I mean, it's, uh, it is it is about, you know, she was able to hold on to some of these feelings and emotions only a four a night through a dream. It's good, sweet stuff, and um, it's a great opener. Big sound. I give it a check. I like it.
1: There's multiple songs in their discography, and especially in this album, where if you're a one-brained... Uh, a fucking boring guy like we are. Like, was this about fucking? Yeah. Like me. I think this is about fucking. It's not, but it could be, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, she's much more poetic about such things than we are. Um, and Eric, to your point, you're always a lyrics guy. Yeah. I, I, and I'm not typically just because I'm, you know, usually I'm like, ah, I like the sounds of words more than the words that they mean. But with her, obviously. You can hear every goddamn word she enunciates it. And she's a great lyricist, in my opinion. Um, sometimes she gets a little uh, dream journalist, but whatever. That's uh, some, some great stuff comes out of it. Um, so yeah, we'll move on to Shake It Out, track two. After I discovered that I was a fan, I went back and listened to this song and I was like, Oh yeah, this is a great song. It's kind of in the vein of, um, I think dog days are over and shake it out or like the big one, two punch in her discography. And it's kind of got that same, like big uh, upward mobility. And at the same time, there's like a subtle mournfulness to it that I think she pulls off Great. It, it's it, it's another song that has gospel elements in it but then organs and bells and tambourines and stuff but not a lot of guitars uh it opens up with a sad sounding uh, maybe accordion i'm not sure what that is um and i really like the lyrics to this song and uh, the first few verses of me it opens up with that sad sounding accordion and uh, regrets collect like old friends here to relive your darkest moments i can see no way i can see no way and all of the goals come out to play And every demon wants his pound of flesh, but I like to keep some things to myself. I like to keep my issues drawn. It's always darkest before the dawn. So you got all that, and that's just set to an accordion, but then the drums kick in after she says that. And the beat kicks in. And uh, I've been a fool, and I've been blind. I can never leave the past behind. I can see no way, I can see no way. I'm always dragging that horse around. And then these multi-track vocals kick in. So then you've got just an accordion for a verse and drums for a verse and then these multi-track vocals and she starts singing (laughs) tonight i'm gonna bury that horse in the ground because i like to keep my issues drawn it's always darkest before the dawn and then the chorus kicks in and it's got a whole bunch of stuff going on i'm a big fan of how this song builds it doesn't you like it, it it uses a very it has a big sound it doesn't have like 28 tracks on it or something. It's, 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 pretty, it's just big sounding, but there's not a shit ton of instruments. Just a lot, a lot, a lot of, a lot of pounding drums and um, soaring vocals and some weird seagull, like keyboards that sound like seagulls. It, it's like a triumphant sounding song. It's, it's, it's telling you to, you know, you gotta move forward, get the monkey off your back. Is this about something as banal as uh, ending a relationship maybe? but it could be about marching into that uh, job and telling them to fuck off or you know, uh, dealing with a bully at school. Uh, I, I feel that some of her lyrics, even when they're... I wouldn't call these lyrics basic, but this theme of the song, Shake It Out, this is nothing new. This is nothing groundbreaking. It, it's telling you to do what you got to do to move on. But I feel like songs like this can be like uplifting, triumphant, and vulnerable at the same time, and this could appeal to a child as much as it could a full grown adult. And I think that's a difficult thing to do. Big fan of, of, of Shake It Out. And again, it uses the imagery of like, you know, ghosts and, and the, the, the stuff she returns to, but also this image of dragging a horse around. And then you're going to leave the horse in the ground. That's a very Florence and Machine way of putting like, yes, you know, all your issues, you're dragging all your issues around. Why don't you just leave them there? The dragging a horse around i'm gonna bury that horse in the ground i love the way that lyric comes across
0: it's always darkest before the dawn will always be a line that's etched in my brain from the dark night um aaron eckhart's harvey dent says it so whenever i hear that in any sort of context i just think about the dark night and uh christopher nolan's finest film and uh um, but it's another big sounding song. It brings to mind that other empowerment song by Taylor Swift that you uh kind of sniffed at a little bit. They don't sound anything alike, uh, but they think thematically hey, they do fit.
1: Hey, I didn't sniff at it. I love that song. Oh, no, I just,
0: it's, oh, I didn't, yeah. I mean. I wouldn't say you sniffed at it. That song it is, is great. great. Um, you, I, I would say that you were that you were sniffing at to kind of tee me up. Uh, maybe you were caddying my my oh, two, my driver two things shot. Here.
1: One, I like that song so much that I need to make it everybody aware that you know that's a good song. But also, I don't want to piss off the Swifties. I mean, Jesus Christ, they will take this will take this God. podcast down. So,
0: I mean, it's uh, either the Scientologists or the Swifties that are going to get us, and I think the Swifties have uh, more of a like. An organization to be feared so yeah uh but it's just about that feeling of not being encumbered by haters slash regret um i think that both things work um obviously taylor swift deals with it in a very bubblegum pop way but man a good song is a good song and this is a good song as well uh, this was apparently the first official single, which is no no question after listening to this, this is one here is right down Broadway. It's a fastball right down the middle of the plate. It was voted as 2012's track of the year by Enemy Magazine. Um, it's uplifting musically, and this is the trick that uh, Florence and the Machine love to pull. Um, Either having uplifting music where she's then kind of talking about demons and shaking things out and having a little bit more of a cathartic uh, sensation that's happening. And it definitely feels like another female warrior getting ready for battle. And I'm okay with that. I think that, you know, she's got this musical palette that they tend to go with that makes you feel like ready to take on the day.
2: So, yeah, you mentioned all the lyrics that I really gravitated towards, too. Um, it's a triumphant track. Uh, the or, You know, the music on paper, mathematically, doesn't necessarily draw me in. The background music, however, the organ work and the crunchy drums keep it in this kind of gothy cathedral sound that really keeps it in theme with the album. Um, and it... Well, every time it sounds a little bubblegummy, the lyrics are super depressing. Um, and then it just rises to a banger chorus. Um, it's great performance and, um, it's not actually like encouraging you to deal with your demons, just kind of dance with them, I guess. Like that's kind of funny. It's kind of a funny premise. Anyways, <laughs> it's uh, not my favorite track on the album. Maybe not even in the top three, but I can see why it's their first single. And it's fun to listen to, and I enjoy what it's about.
1: I really dig the line, I am done with my graceless heart, so tonight I'm going to cut it out and then restart. That's good imagery. Uh, our new our good new stuff. friend of the show, Rob Harvila, uh, from the 60 Songs Explain the 90s podcast, at the time he was writing for Spin, and he wrote, Consider a rapturous call to arms. Shake it out. It's a feast of droning organs and concussive, con- concussive drums that begins as an assassination martyrdom attempt, throwing flow to the cliches instead of the lions. It's always darkest before the dawn. Dan if I do and Dan if I don't. At the end of my rope, it's a shot in the dark. And the all-time Catholic hymn classic, It's Hard to Dance with the Devil on Your Back. Yet she rips the throat out of every line with that bazooka alto and turns even the banalities into profundities. I, I agree with that. Even, even if she's using cliches, the way she delivers it turns it you know you can't deny it so thank you rob um yeah great song and we're gonna move on to track three what the water gave me gave me is a little bit more epic and sound and lyrical scope I think uh, you've got descriptions of Atlas you've got kids being swept out to sea and I feel like there's a little bit more fiction than the uh, previous two tracks on here um, there's more water imagery it's a lot about drowning and um, even though this is like a five minute track that has soaring uh Imagery about drowning. Uh, it's still a pop rock song. Um, uh, it's actually a part of it's about Virginia Woolf's death and uh, how she walked into water with pockets full of stones. And if any artist we're going to talk about is writing about Virginia Woolf, it's gonna be either it's gonna be either two bands, Florence and the Machine, or actually Murder City Devils. That's the two. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- th- this one, this, this track, to me. Uh, the, the, high point of this track for me is the 2.17 minute mark when the, the band rocks in the whole band. And then there's just some guitar strumming and some harps and it builds and it just drops back to Florence's voice. And then there's a choir behind Florence singing the bridge. And then everybody in the whole band comes back in with Florence and they're all fucking rocking out. Um, a lot of, ra- a lot of rising action there. And even though it's rocking out and it's one of the more rocking tracks on the album when it really gets going, uh, like this one actually has guitars with feedback in addition to the rest of the, uh, the band going on, you can still dance to it. Uh, I think this is a great track. Um, I failed to mention that the uh, video for shake it out had a video. Um, this one also has a video for it. and The video was just the band performing it live and uh, recording the song in the studio with Florence dancing around in the studio. Uh, Florence will dance around in the studio as hard as she will on stage in front of many people. She is a a great performer. She encourages you to be overcome by the music as much as she does. And it never seems phony. It's good stuff. Uh, this is one of the first songs they wrote for this record. They started playing it live on the tour before the album came out. What the water gave me, Eric. What did the water give you?
2: The water gave me my third favorite song on the album. Um, It is, and you're right, what it's about, Virginia Woolf and all that. um, Also, the title comes from a Frida Kahlo painting. And um, what it's about really is just feeling out of control in life and seeing something bigger and more like uncontrollable like the ocean gives you a calming feeling. Like, Like, oh, I could do this, this, and this to make that change in my life. I can't change how that wave's going to crash. Like, like that's just kind of like that release into something bigger. Um, it's, it starts with a dark and mysterious driving beat. It has this twangy twin peaksy guitar. Um, the chorus has a real hook, lay me down overflow. And then she teases a little rock out every time it gets to a chorus, but you're right, Steve, not until that very end that like after the two minute 17 mark, then they, she, she, they, they give it to us. They give it to us and they, and they shred and they shred. So, um, yeah, this kind of the, the uh, just the whole rising action, as we like to say, and the dynamics and the journey, the song takes us on. This is a great one. And definitely in my top three, uh, what the water gave me. And it's the first part of a two song sequential, uh, story, I guess about the water and drowning so uh there you go mark
0: yeah i mean um florence whether it's her or whether it's a band effort they have a great ear for crafting melody and vocal deliveries that are really infectious and hooky her lay me down it's simple but it's, it's really effective and um kind of what eric was saying i have that in my notes as well this song builds to an amazing climax that has some great jamming out from the band and it teases that like Eric was saying, like that is literally from my notes as well, but it delivers it at the end of the track. You know, it, it, uh, it's lack of a better word, kind of doing the foreplay until you actually get the climatic cathartic release at the end. Um, I am a sucker for water motifs and art. I think the imagery of the ocean, it is something that is both fascinating and terrifying at the same time. It is the closest thing to space we have here on Earth. Um, Something that is just so sprawling and uncontrollable, uh, yet mankind wants to conquer it. And it is unforgiving as the uh, folks on that goddamn submersible. Um, But this song is my favorite song on the record. It's not even in contention for strongest track on the record. It is my favorite song on the record. I don't know how Eric puts this as his third favorite because this oh. song is a banger. Um, oh, but uh, this is my favorite song on the record. Uh, well, put it in I, fucking <laughs> rock. I'm done. I, I, this is I,
2: I respect it. I respect it. It's very close for me. Very favorite?
0: Third favorite?
2: third favorite
1: do i even know Again, you are man? Two better songs than that one on here i think but let it's, it's a good problem to have all right this, okay,
0: so this, i'm in the minority i've got the minority vote is what you're telling me this one doesn't well, make like it well,
2: has not made me cry two times during my research like my number one choice did which is embarrassing but true
1: <laughs>
0: i, Jesus I man. Wait. all right next track I can't wait to, it's probably Lover to Lover. Um, But anyhow, (laughs) um, I I do like this track a lot. This is a home run.
1: Glad to hear everyone seems to be enjoying something that wasn't even on the original list when we came up with this season. Uh, Next track, Never Let Me Go. never let me go uh there are no bad songs in this album but this one is the to me to quote eric when he was talking about a band that is very good and is not basic at all this is the most basic song in the album to me this is the most classically like r&b style song like I i could picture other artists doing this song i can't picture many other artists singing to many of the other songs in this record this one i could i could see somebody else one of her contemporaries or even somebody from the 80s even doing this track but it's not a bad song um the vocals are still a powerhouse the production on the drums is pretty goddamn cool pretty reverby uh the pianos are pretty echoey uh even though i think that maybe this could this could be on mix 96 or y 92 in circa 1993 it still has the crimson pink thing going on here um it's more Crimson Peak than it is Whitney Houston. Uh the backup choirs during the, the closing minute still kick my ass. And this is another track that does have a bunch of water imagery in it. And could also be the you know, we get we've got this record has like La Mer, great below Moana levels of water imagery on it. That's <laughs> like every other track. Maybe maybe the eight out of twelve tracks have water imagery. Uh Never Let Me Go is a it's a it's a more normy song for this band.
0: Uh, could I see this song being played in a pivotal scene in the show Outlander? Uh, yeah, I absolutely could. If this sh- song was a wine, I would say I could taste the subtle notes of uh, Sarah McLaughlin in here. Uh, while lyrically, we get another round of crashing ocean waves, like I said before. I love some water motifs in my media. Uh, musically, it, this song is just kind of just there. Um, it's kind of a subdued ballad it's like you said kind of i don't want to say basic but it you know it didn't really resonate with me um while i like what their attempt is there but musically it was just kind of like all right what's next eric what do you think about never let me go
2: i have i have similar notes to this one um i do i do like when like an artist spreads out a theme into two songs, I appreciate that. I think, um, this one is definitely taking a little, taking, taking a little breather, take a little smoke break after the last song. Um, at some points it does sound like it could be in the trailer for a, uh, you know, Disney movie or YA adventure film. And I'll bring that up again later. The, another song that even does it better. Um, but it, you know, this is following that, like, this idea of drowning and the excitement of rush of, of drowning and letting go. But then also this, like la- the, the end of the song lyrically, it's like, um, never let me go. So like you're kind of flirting with the idea, but you don't want the people that love you to really let you go. It's almost like, like that cry for help at the, at the end, almost kind of like the last line in hurt. Um, it's heavy lyrics. Uh, once again, appreciate the lyrics. But um, yeah, uh, less exciting uh, musically. Um, I will say this is my brother Luke's favorite song by Florence and the Machine, and I bring him up because um, uh, and because he's he, a
0: basic bitch. I'm he's
2: kidding. a ba- he, he he is he's a basic <laughs> bitch. No, he uh, my brother Luke is a is a gay man, and he uh, he specifically sent me some notes on Florence and the Machine because he loves Florence and the Machine. Um, but uh, and, and this is his favorite song, but he also said
1: that's great to hear and uh I love Luke um we should have had him on this episode if we would known this Eric why didn't you fucking make that call good
2: uh, I I only just texted him yesterday and I and I and I, and I uh didn't want to. you know you're you're planning this one Steve I didn't want to throw a wrench in uh, in your uh your tightly no, wa- let's, your tightly let's, schedule.
1: no let's tell the truth Florence and the machine this is a band of truth. This is a band that speaks their truth and has lyrics that come from the heart. You didn't want to have Luke on here because you were afraid you'd get outshone by him and we'd kick you off the podcast and replace you with your brother.
2: Oh, yeah. It's true. You'd get, you get Luke and then wait until you hear his thoughts on faith. No more. <laughs> 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 but, uh, no, 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 But, uh, uh, Luke, one, one, one interesting factoid that Luke told me was that there is a, A a, a fandom of of gay fans of Florence that are particularly, and he and I quote him on this text message: histrionic and uh, dramatic Um, and uh, notoriously apparently, yeah, notoriously. So uh, uh, yeah, exactly. The Argyle
0: Arstero, watch (laughs) out for Argyle Arstero. (laughs)
2: Argyle. So so that's what you're dealing with, Um, but um, anyways. This is my brother Luke's favorite song. Um, Not mine, but I, I, you know, hey, different strokes, different folks. But love my brother Luke. Thanks for the input. If you recall, he gave us a tight five on the film Showgirls when we did our David Bowie episode on uh, I'm Afraid of Americans. That's right. There you
1: go. It's interesting that someone that is a a super fan um, says this is their favorite song off this album, which... Three of us. We've got two new fans and one pretty big fan. But I'm, I'm probably not going to go toe to toe with Luke on his Florence notes. So it's interesting. This track, which we don't think is indicative of this band's usual sound, is his favorite. Maybe, maybe there's more to it than we are hearing. Maybe.
2: Uh, it, also, it's it's maybe the song most likely to appear on a Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Uh, so that <laughs> That might explain that as
3: well Even when I was a child I always know
4: There's something to be frightened And I can see it coming from the edge of the world
1: Next track, something completely different, Breaking Down. So Breaking Down is the most upbeat song on the, this far, maybe the most upbeat song on the album. I could actually maybe hear this this song on their last record. Um, It's a lot more just, I mean, it sounds bright. It sounds upbeat. Uh, I love the opening pianos and the drum beat and the, the jaunty bass line but you still get string sections mixed in. It's not like they, they tossed out the whole chamber element to this thing. I think it's a good blend of the first records, uh, eclectic eclecticness and this records, uh, uh complete sound. Uh, I, I enjoy the breathless toned down delivery of her vocals. She doesn't sing for the rafters on this one through a lot of it. There are the, the there's parts where she's it sounds like she's calling you from the telephone. Um, and then, then it sounds like there's like a, a male singer that's kind of sighing. And and when she's singing, I think I'm breaking down again. It, it's, it's kind of straight ahead. The, this is one that's not blowing the glass out of the windows, which is good because you can't do that for every song. If you, if you, if you constantly blow the glass out of the windows, then people are going to be, be exhausted. And uh, I still feel exhausted by the time I finish this record, but in a good way. Um, all of this together, though, with this track that's funny... You know, Eric, you, you went back to Arcade Fire a couple of times. I think Mark did even, uh, as we've been talking about this record. I'm going to go back to the Arcade Fire album again because I think this track actually reminds me of Roy Orbison, uh, who I said on the Arcade Fire album, a lot of times I was reminded of Roy Orbison. Uh, when these indie bands get all lush, I hear a lot of Roy Orbison in it. And these lyrics too, these lyrics could have been written by Roy. I mean, Roy, he wrote about crying all the time. I don't know if she's saying I'm breaking down and tears are streaming down my face, but, uh, you know, I think I'm breaking down again. I can hear Roy Orbison singing that. I really enjoy this song. Uh, I like that it's a it's a different it's a, it's a different pace for this record. And also, anytime I'm reminded of Roy Orbison, like I said, in the Arcade Fire episode, I like it.
0: Is that right? Yeah. Um... So here we have the shortest song on the album, and it's also a song that actually pairs nicely with our previous subject, Arcade Fire. I I feel like this song could land itself on a collaboration on either the suburbs or, or this particular record. I think I'm breaking down again. That's the hook. And while effective, the song just moves towards the end without really any offering any big dynamics or sound. I think we've got some really great string quartet backing, but uh, you don't really have the pomp and circumstance of some of the earlier tracks. Uh, Lyrically, uh, I do appreciate the juxtaposition, because lyrically, it's got a taste of the foreboding, uh, while musically, it could easily play in the background of a Target or a Nordstrom. Um, It's that upbeat piano melody. It's uh, with the soft, sorrowful, whispered vocals. Uh, I guess looking into it, it looks like it's about Florence's depression as a friend greeting her in the dead of night. Um, but yeah, it's not my favorite, uh, track on the record, but it certainly, uh, does the job that it's trying to do. Um, but I'm not going to reach for it on my playlist. I
1: think the job that it needs to do though is what it does do, which is a change of pace. Cause you can't, you can't have things cranked to 11 for every song. So I think that's, that's important to drop something like this in there. um, yeah. Also, the video that's, for this one was... That's my first was, note. Well, you let me finish what I'm saying. Then you give me your notes, mister.
0: Can I finish? <laughs> Ross Pro over here.
1: Because I, I always have to bring up this anecdote. Anyway, I can get there. And the video for this song is... Uh, it's a it's a lo-fi indie version of uh, a band traveling around on tour and having fun behind the scenes, but also kind of how the road life gets you down and you want to go home, which was done greatly and Monty, uh, Monty, Motley Cruz, home, sweet home, Motley Cruz, home, sweet home, which when Mark and I lived together, uh, our next door neighbor one day was going through something and he listened to it on repeat, uh, turned up to 20, to 22 decibels for an entire Saturday. And to this day, I do not know what happened to that man, but he was listening to Motley Cruz, home, sweet home and crying almost all day long. Uh, Mark, that was the second guy to live there. Not the first one, but, uh,
0: <laughs> no, I'm familiar. Yeah, he looked like you know he was a big wrestling yeah. fan. Yeah.
1: Um, anyhow, that's the uh, the video for that one. Just the band traveling around on the road. Eric, what are your what's your first note say for this one? Does it say that you want to go on the road? Or say something oh. else. No,
2: no, no, no. no. Uh, but the um, your your point that you know you can't swing for the rafters every time. You got to leave that to Mariah Carey um you know she she's very subdued in her vocal performance on on this song um and, and it works the music is sunshiny it's got like the 60s esque swooping strings sun drenched sound to it um but it works for me you got to give a break you got to you got to give the people a break and um and despite the sunshiny feel it is about depression um and a great lyric is ever since i was a child I've always known there was something to be frightened of like just that I don't know is a very human thought of, of, of our relationship with mental health um, but I, I think it's a great like song not quite the midpoint of the album but definitely gives us a, a much-needed break from the intensity um, the last song uh, didn't give us that break uh, but kind of did in quality or songwriting this one gives us that that break while keeping the quality high uh, I, this is, breaking down is is fine. It's fine.
1: All right. The next track is another upbeat jaunty one. Lover to lover. a minute folks i wrote i have a lot of notes tonight but on lover to lover i wrote need to write more notes by it and then i never went back and wrote more notes so <laughs> so i don't have a <laughs> and then turn it in uh submit yeah submit i don't have a lot of notes on oh. this one it's it's another upbeat jaunty song uh, the video stars uh welch with uh actor ben Mendelssohn, you know that guy uh
2: it is. I kind of pegs it more of like a disco delivery, uh, not unlike where she, their, their, their band is at on, uh, the, the most recent album, um, uh, big seventies chorus. In fact, I'm hearing ELO type piano hits throughout this thing. Um, I would assume the song cooks live. Uh, it ends in a massive revival. um, and it's a lyrically it's a middle finger to being judged and you know you don't need angels or god's judgment who cares i'll roll around with the devils um you know what i like it a lot i like it a lot i have this as my number two i have Uh,
0: i feel like this is a shot across adele's bow letting her know that she's not the only one that can play in this field uh and apparently Florence even stated that uh, she wrote this song from the perspective of that aggressive male soul singer, Otis Redding or Salmon and Daves. And uh she used to watch a live video apparently of try a little tenderness every time before entering the stage. Um it's not bad. Uh it is definitely um of a style, and I do like some gospel revival um and some soul gospel. Do I think that this is kind of her uh, first gear? No, no, I don't think so. Um, But I do think it's a fun little interlude to uh, showing the range of what this band and her are capable of. Um, But if I look at Florence and the Machine, Florence plus the Machine, I don't think that this song is going to come to mind. And Eric, how dare you think this is the second best song over what the water gave me. How dare you?
2: I mean, you have me second guessing myself uh, a lot, <laughs> but it, it, you do. You do. But uh, you do. You do. Uh, but I'm going to stick to my guns um, and I might regret it on my deathbed. And I will never tell you because you're not invited to my deathbed.
0: I just know that Eric is hornier than I am uh, by him saying this is his second favorite song on the record. <laughs> so I get it, man. I get it. It's all right.
1: Uh, Mark Mark's really trying to get us into the Manosphere uh, podcast list. Um,
0: <laughs> Look, man, Mark's, Mark's Barstool Sports did reach out. <laughs>
1: Mark's this trying to get us I mean, we've, always, we've always struggled to monetize this thing, and let's just—it's never going to happen. We we gave up that ghost a long time ago. <laughs> So if Mark, <laughs> if Mark, you know, pretending like he's uh, Frank TJ Mackey is what gets us onto the barstool list, and then the barstool pays us. I mean, I'll, I will sell my. I've got, I've got kids. I've got. It's the month of listen, July. I go to a day job where a lot of times I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, oh, no, got to keep it up for my kids. Oh, listen, am I, uh, having some uh, some ads for some less than reputable folks on our podcast and bringing some dollars? Fine, let's do it. Barstool, we're here. We're here.
0: I, I do have to read a a sponsor read for Blue Chew um, after the next break. So. Barstool, I
1: want you to listen to our. I yes. want you to listen to our episode about Florence and the Machine, and I want you to put us <laughs> on your feed. <laughs> this
0: is your target audience, exactly. Hey, man.
1: So uh, the next track after Lover to Lover, Eric, that's your second favorite song on the album, huh?
0: Interesting so steven is, is scratching his head too man <laughs> that's a, that's I, I you gotta I said, show your math but, and equation but it's listen, okay man
2: two, two and three are miles away from number one my number one pinnacle pinnacle track
1: my number one's the next track uh, no light no light let's listen to it for a
4: second
1: No light uh, this song had a video, it was a single, it was played on uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, video is pretty cool. Uh, she jumps off a building, she while she's falling, they film her singing half the song while she's falling. It's kind of comedic. Um, it's also got a, uh, a church group of kids doing choir arrangements. At one point, she crashes through the top of a church into their arms. You got some Madonna-esque like a prayer stuff going on there with the imagery and the sound, kind of. Um, there's also a uh, some voodoo elements to it and some very interesting dancing. I think the video for No Light to No Light is almost as good as the song. The song is the best song on the album. I will not hear any dissension. Uh, I think this song is number one with the bullet uh, on this record. It uh, has a lot of rising action it pulses it's a driver it pulses and it pounds there's some more of that kind of talk that excites you tonight mark you weirdo um (laughs) uh, yeah i've always i always liked this song but it wasn't until like the last couple of years where i was just like wait a minute this song's really doing something special at least to this point her first couple of albums have a lot of the dream imagery uh ghosts graveyards devils angels that kind of stuff not even any water elements on this. It's a bit more personal. It's about somebody, you know, just trying to leave you, and you're trying to stop them. Um, and uh, there's a line in this track. I mean, I love the music of this this track, and I haven't described a lot of it. Um, I might just leave it up to Eric. Who knows? Uh, right. These are some of my favorite lyrics of hers. And there's one that I really relate to that I, I like on it. Uh, the would you leave me if I told you what I've become? Cause it's so easy to sing it to a crowd, but it's so hard. my love to say it to you out loud, but she's saying here, I could, I could sing to all of these people. I could stand up and talk to all these people, but to actually have a conversation with the person I love about something important is difficult. And as somebody that like on a daily fucking basis for my job, I have to talk to so many fucking people about so many things. And like, I got to lead calls and be on these calls with all these people. And it's almost secondhand and easy for me. And I'm just like, I could do it in my sleep half the time. But then if I have to like, remember to have a serious talk with my wife about something like that's the fucking pain in the ass. And that's actually difficult. And I have to like sit there and be like, all right, I need to word this perfectly. Uh, like that's, I can totally relate to that, what she's saying here. So I, I, I just, uh, that really resonates with me. The way she sings, you want a revolution. You want to get right, but it's a conversation. I just can't have tonight the way she sings it like you can picture her like pull like pointing as she sings it uh th- that's that's great and then there's the line where she says that, would you leave me if i told you what i've done and she holds this note when she says because it's so hard my love to say it out loud she holds this note and then the bass kind of rumbles beneath her and then the no light no light kicks back in Uh, It's good on the album, but the live versions Of this track, which I sent you guys A couple, I don't know if you watched them The live versions on this track, she holds a note Forever, which is just crazy
0: Well, I'm glad that we got a twofer out of the way for you, Stephen. So this recording can also double for your next therapy session. So (laughs) I'm really happy to hear that. Got that out of the way, you know, save some time. Um, But it starts the song with the lyric, you are the hole in my head. Hey, now, Uh, that is some good stuff. I think we've hit our quota now on holes in head uh, on this uh, whole series of uh, podcasts that we've done. So that's good stuff. Um, And I like the fact that we're getting back to the getting ready for battle songs. Um, That's what I've come to appreciate and kind of expect from Florence plus the machine. Um, She has moments here where she holds that note. And like you said, Stephen, to say it to you out loud. That's the line that she delivers it when it just like carries on forever. She she holds that loud um, quite long and it's fantastic. We got big drums here. We got harp flourishes. We have a, a song that has momentum with great release points. I don't know if release points is a musical term. I don't know, but allow it fits it. what's I'll going on. That's here.
1: perfect for this band, too. I'll allow it
0: release points yeah it's like
2: it's, a, it's, a, it's Mark's sensual massages there's always release points when he gives those
0: always release points I mean
1: is there something beyond mature listener tags that we need to get I mean what is the <laughs>
0: <photographic context>? NSFW <laughs> I know exactly um, the, the chorus has some great rhyme schemes with conversation revelation resolution and you know me and Liss man um and it definitely feels that the chorus has kind of a list like quality to it so it's peanut butter for my brain uh this was the second single from ceremonials and it was also the first song that florence welch wrote for the album and apparently they were out with uh dan Aykroyd's son rob Aykroyd. no i'm kidding they're not related but uh, I'm sure that they're related. Aykroyd is not a, like a common name, so I'm sure the lineage. If uh, we 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 scale that out, I'm sure Rob does have a cousin with the uh, the owner of the Crystal Skull vodka. vodka. Uh, <laughs> but they were out drinking and like let's you know let's make a song, and this is what uh, they they came up with and time magazine named this the 2011 song of the year and i you know how i said on lover to lover letting adele know like hey now um we can duke this out and adele's rolling in the deep was the runner-up so um, you know got her i mean it's right there in time magazine um they explained that uh, no light no light could be the sound of a religious revival and you know one thing about florence and we'll probably talk a bit more about this is that sometimes it comes off a little religious but she's not religious guys i'm this is my joe biden <laughs> you know not religious whispering and everything no, I, I think um, i think she's like so, one of those people that
1: likes to read the old testament because it's got some really cool imagery in it but yeah i'm not uh,
0: sure sure she's like a stevie Nicks witch that uh really likes to bring up some um religious imagery um as she's casting spells so i love this stuff uh, no light no light second favorite record uh second favorite song on the record sorry there's no water motifs here so um that's that's the edge she's good though yeah. it's good it's got some distortion in yeah there, that too. part
1: where you're talking about there sitting are doing the listing uh like she uses her hands when she sings sometimes in a way that reminds me of Dio, uh, uh, just a lot of just making her point with her hands, and she does it great on this this track. I do the same thing when I when I when I listen to some songs. that are like uh, making points with your hands. Eric, do you make points with your hands?
2: Yeah. Uh, and this song, this particular track. Sorry, Steve, not my number one. Gotta have to wait a little bit longer for that. Uh, this one though is is quality and it is pulsating and it is uh, uh, pulsating. Oh my god! Propulsive is the word I meant. God damn! Pulsating. Mark, Mark know, you got, a, you, a got a a all, very... you got us all. You got You got us all horny over here. This, this is a horny episode.
0: episode. Uh, well, you
1: know, you know, we have an episode. We have a goddamn episode where we can we can.
0: We talk about a female fronted and the, the three no, of first, us we can't just like, yeah, yeah pants this is on. terrible.
1: Like, this yeah, is gonna yeah, be yeah. the one where we can finally you know, <laughs> probably get some people to listen to us that are not incels, cells and we screw it all up. This is just awful, yeah,
2: Ugh. yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Propulsive, <laughs> the song is propulsive. I have this, I will know, say,
1: Jezebel was gonna promote us mm-hmm. for this episode and now nothing.
2: Oh boy. <laughs>
1: Not, not, looking looking good. Good.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: not looking good. Oh shit! Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, yeah, you know. Hey, listen. It's propulsive. It's fun. The video is very cool. You're right. I can't pick the hook out of a lineup on this song, uh, so it doesn't really have a hook. That's not. That's you know. Hey, listen. That's not a. That's not a. That's not a, that's not, not a detriment. Um, she she goes on a one of one of her biggest journeys vocally in her performance on this, uh, and that needs to be respected. So definitely, you know, not my top three, but very close. Uh, great track. Ready to move
1: The Seven Devils. Uh, This is the second best best track on the record, and there's a story behind it. Yeah, this is a song that made me a fan of the band. Um, I was already, you know, like I said earlier, I was like, I don't know about, you know, why would I bother with this this group? Um, And then it was at the height of Game of Thrones Madness. And uh, season one was done. Season two was coming out. A trailer comes on for season two and i watched this trailer for season two and it has the song seven devils at the time i didn't know this was florence and the machine i was just like this is a great trailer oh i am so hyped for season two of this show and that song is great what is it and i looked it up and it was florence and the machine and i was like well if this is florence and the machine i'm gonna give them another shot so the marketing team at game of thrones is why i'm a, a florence and the machine fan and uh, that's not the first time, no, it is the first time. It's not the last time that they would be with this. They, they actually were in an episode playing uh, the song Jenny of Old Stones later in the, the TV show. But uh, it wasn't anything like Seven Devils. Seven Devils is a, you know, this is, it's a dark, dark track. It almost sounds like a, a, a ritual or you're like you're, you're summoning something. Um, it sounds like an enchantment, which is perfect for Game of Thrones. It's a very haunting track. Um, it opens up with this, you know, this this, this cascading piano measure going back and forth and all these echoing sounds, and Florence's voice kind of sounds like it goes into the de- distance, like she shouts something and you can hear it echoing off the mountains. But the departure point for this track is, uh, you know, for much of it, it has that the harp stabs and the haunting piano, and the delivery in the verse is almost kind of a freestyle. Uh, but then the, you know, there's this part where she just starts shouting and the music swells and it, you know, the, 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 you can't keep it out. It's coming through the walls to devastate your heart and to take your soul for what has been done. cannot be undone in the Eagles. Eye, in the even song, and it's just bellowed with such intensity and it goes to these soaring heights. And I just think it's amazing. Um, I think the song stands on its own, but I have a good memory of discovering it that way through game of Thrones at the time. Cause that was back right before game of Thrones became a super phenomenon. But after many of us became super fans, it was in between season one and two. And, uh, I, I, I looked fondly at those times. That was a, even though, you know, the books still aren't done and they probably never will be. I enjoyed the memories of being so into that show. It's like, a pop culture thing with my friends. Uh, and this song reminds me of that, but the song stands on its own seven devils. Eric, what do you think about it?
2: Oh, come on, come on. It's great. It's great. It's the most light, most like chamber goth song mm-hmm. of, on this, on this record. It's got so much atmosphere musically. It's probably the most interesting. Um, and I, speaking of game of Thrones, not related to season two or even the song, but, I remember Mark's wedding. We went back to a house party afterwards and Steve just patted the couch next to him and told me to curl up and sit right by him. And the party was going on around us. And he said, you're going to watch this first episode of Game of game of Thrones. And that's where I saw the first episode of game of Thrones and that, uh, right after Mark's wedding. Yeah. Party around us. Doesn't matter. That's the uh, Steve created a vacuum for that moment and it was fine. It was absolutely fine. Uh, but
0: <laughs> Stephen definitely in that phase was spreading the good news. I mean, he was a yeah. Jehovah's Witness for I was for Game of I was, I was, I was so that.
1: Sure. I, I didn't. I wasn't a book reader. Just the, the first season kicked my ass, and then I read all the books in between season one and two, like many other people did. And it just felt like things were limitless. Like, no, guys, like this is great. You got it. And then uh, we all know where it went. But like I said, remembering the good times is fun. So yeah. Well, this song is very Mark, gadget, Mark like, would fucking read the Wikipedia pages where he read the books because it made him anxious to just fucking wait and see what happened. And I used to get so mad at that. <laughs> just Steve I was off like, what kind of guy does this to himself? But Whatever.
0: To each their own. <laughs> Steven was writing a letter to my congresswoman. He was like, you need to put this guy in jail. He must be stopped. <laughs> put him on a, now, on a watch but now, list.
1: But now yeah. Mark, Mark, Mark seems like the smart one now considering we're, you know, those books never finished. So... I mean, maybe yeah. just reading the Wikipedia pages and not the books would have been the smartest thing to do. But, anyways, keep going, Eric.
2: That's fine. Uh, yeah, this song is uh, The Devils are like a metaphor for her rage against someone who did her dirty. It's got kind of a revenge song, it's got great goth imagery. Um, like I said, I think it's one of the more interesting musical compositions. Um, I love this particular track, I think it's very theatrical in a great way. And uh, get takes this kind of like album into the the nether the nether world before um, we get into some some uh, more anthems towards the end.
1: Eric are you, or or Mark, are you one of the seven devils?
0: I might be. I might be one of the seven. Um, this is definitely a witch's spell. It's best sung over a bubbling cauldron. Um, And I honestly, I did forget that this song was utilized in a lot of the promotional material for Game of Thrones that season two. I'm glad that you uh, threw the link at us because as I was writing my notes, I said, if Cersei Lannister was going to sing a song in the Broadway version of Game of Thrones, this would be her song. Um, The line, I'm going to raise the stakes. I'm going to smoke you out. uh, It's very high probability. It's also a lyric on Snoop Dogg's album, The Dogfather. Um, you know, I, I definitely put a lot of thought into that joke. So, um, i I stand by it. Um, this song has a haunting quality that is effective in its mission, uh, to create an atmosphere that has a mark of vengeance, uh, running through the lyrics. So it's got that medieval demons. Um, apparently Florence indicated that seven devils was originally inspired by a narrative from a book by, A gentleman by the name of Chester Himes, titled If He Hollers, Let Him Go, where the protagonist wakes one morning and says, I woke up with seven devils inside of me. It's kind of like my favorite shirt. That's one part is the Spartan helmet, the other part is the Punisher uh, skull logo. It says, I have two wolves living inside of me over a torn American flag. It's a hit at Walmart. (laughs) Uh, okay, that's enough out of Mark. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, the guys are disappointed th- in me, folks. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. I'm trying to bring some I, energy. I, I,
1: I can't... Um, dis-
0: but I think I'm going to get thrown off this show <laughs> well, and canceled like I, by the end I of the episode. If, I I'm in a if I'm...
1: Am I uh, disappointed <laughs> or intimidated? I don't know. Uh, you know, you got this...
0: I did see a, a world class sticker on someone's um, uh, Range Rover the other day that said, Jesus saves, and Jesus was in a baseball uniform. Um, and I was like, that's not bad. That's not bad. As a non believer, I'm okay with that one. Oh,
1: this is going to be a tough one to edit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got a
2: crop bra- Mark. That's a problem.
1: <laughs> the next track. Now we're gonna leave, we're gonna leave behind the grandiosity and the the the, the power of Seven Devils, and move on to Heartlines. I feel like they're really feeling their Susie and the Banshees on this one. They got more river and water imagery, and flying birds. But also, she brings up the entrails of animals and blood running through her hands. Um, like many of the songs on this album, it's when the chorus kicks in that really gets me. Uh, they're, they're big with their choruses, they're big with their loud, quiet... Quiet, loud dynamics. Um, just keep following the heart lines on your hands is delivered with such conviction and epic action. She's shouting it from the top of the highest castle you can find. I love it. Um, she manages in this song to deliver the same lines with subtle variations. Uh, and it, it still stays within the structure of the song. So it's not like she's doing like the Whitney Houston singing the national anthem thing where she's going out of control of the notes. But there's a lot of subtle variations to her delivery in this track that I like.
0: So, Heartlines, uh, this song definitely starts with some jump jive and whale drums, little little Glenn Miller in the mood, uh, and then it goes into some really classic montage music uh, that you'd expect from a, like a young teenage girl to be learning the ways of her people, like in an animated Disney film. And if I know anything about uh, animated Disney films, I, I, I mean, if I know anything, I do know animated Disney films. In fact, this gives me the same. Where vibe. Are voyagers. It's, we are voyagers. I am Moana. That song at the end, where she realizes the power that she holds, uh, it's uh, this is giving me those same vibes. And if I li- hear that song, you know, watching, you know, that f- that film with the kids on a Sunday hungover morning with the kids, it, that song is probably going to make me tear up nine out of ten I'd like, times. I'd like
1: for, even so. though I think that Moana's uh, every song in that movie is delivered actually perfectly. I would like to hear all of Moana realized and performed by Florence and the Machine. That includes the song sung, sung by uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, sung by Florence Welch. So you're, you're welcome. welcome, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so you know, just like in those movies, you got to keep following the heart lines on your hand. It's just following your passions and your instincts, and they can't serve you wrong. Um, and even Florence even said, look here, you know, we can't be just the witches that are uh, talking about demons inside of you. The kids are going to be listening to this and we got to be a little bit more uplifting. Um, and while she's definitely British where they, you know, deal in sarcasm Um, She wanted to create something that would be a little bit more positive feeling. So when you're taking the kids to school and you're getting them ready to drop them off, you know, this is a good message for them. I like this song. Um, And she even said, I wanted it to sound like something really epic, like a gigantic battle in the sea unfolding, like mermaids versus pirates. Mission accomplished, George W. Bush. Hang up the banner. It's a good one.
1: Can appeal to kids as much as they can adults in some songs. Some, not all. Um, not the one that get Mark to talk all pillow talk style. Um, but also, yeah, that's and, right. And,
0: you know, I I I missed the opportunity to talk about Seven Devils inside of me. But uh, go ahead, Stephen.
1: But also, yes, mission accomplished on the epic sounding uh, track. Like I said, it, it. I feel like it's a precursor, precursor to the Final Fantasy song. They did. Um, and again, back to Moana. My favorite joke from Moana, nobody asked, but I'm going to say it, is when he's talking about, uh, The Rock is talking to Moana about wayfinding. And he's like, yeah, you know, wayfinding is looking where you've been to see where you're going. And also, like, you got to do something with your hand in the sky to look at the stars. And and she's she's holding her hand up against the sky trying to wayfind, and he's looking at her. And he's like, <laughs> you're trying to find the way you're not trying to give the stars a high five and the way he delivers it always makes me laugh so that's my favorite Moana joke Eric what's yours <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it better be a good one I want to laugh Eric come on
1: I gotta, wow. Eric
0: has no nowhere to go yeah. with this because he doesn't believe in Disney I've watched he's on Ron DeSantis' mi- side
2: I watched that movie one time and I liked it fine. It didn't stick with the kids. The kids. The kids. It didn't stick with them.
0: No. Stick with them. I don't know. I don't know. Because you're, you're raising Jaden children <laughs> is why. Look at you. I
2: know. They'd rather that watch.
0: Household is the Adams family. I think I'd rather
2: watch. I think Pop- I, I. think I've literally.
1: <laughs> they'd rather watch. Pop- I think I've literally watched it over 200 times. <laughs> it's Just every day, <laughs> twice a day, for over a year. Oh God. No, that's like 600 times. Anyways, Eric, where are you? (laughs) Go ahead.
2: All right. So I, 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 like the drums on this song, Mark. You said Glenn Miller, it's big Toms in my head. And I'm still in Peter Gabriel mode. I'm thinking like the, um, you know, the last temptation of Christ soundtrack, just like the big world drums that like give way to atmosphere. Like that's kind of what I'm feeling with this. And then, it gets big and it gets epic, and it's like this song sounds like it's gonna happen in the most important moment in Maze Runner. Like you guys went Moana, I went Maze Runner. I don't know, uh, Moana is probably better than Maze Runner. I, I I don't know. It just that's that's where Maze my Runner's head not went. bad. That's where my head. That's where my head went. Um, and uh, it's it's big, it's epic, it 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 definitely like. Lands the ending, but I, um, uh, you know, it's not my, it's not, it's not, it didn't break my top five on the album, but it, 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 it works. It's fine.
0: Maze Runner over a Hunger Games reference. Uh, Eric definitely is on the cutting edge. He yeah, doesn't yeah. want to go right de- to the middle. Uh, well, well, you know, it's not bad, but, you know, I prefer the B side, Maze Runner.
2: Maze Runner or the, uh, what's the, uh- <laughs> what's the fucking insurgent what's insurgent what's the uh what's the other, what's yeah, the other? You're right. yeah you're right yeah, you're there
0: yeah, yeah. Divergent, <laughs> yeah. uh, divergent or something yeah, like that yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Divergent, yeah yeah oh god okay well dear friends let's go to the next track
1: <sighs> my god all right we're rounding third coming home three more tracks on this record. that's what she said sure she did awooga <laughs> <laughs> the next track is
0: sex is like a game in this household you know we, we have players in positions alright the next track is every listener by this point is even doubting that Mark is married
1: um, Spectrum <laughs> is the next track I'm
2: gonna post your post your certificate on the website yeah
1: uh, Spectrum Spectrum with a video directed by David LaChapelle and David Byrne, friend of the show. Talking Heads, David Byrne, directed the video for Spectre. Uh, Save My Name, the Walter White song. This track is kind of a club anthem style track, uh, but also has like a Nine Inch Nails pulsing electro thing going on. Um, I Yeah, I, I think the song is where uh, Cher and Nine Inch Nails meet. That's an interesting idea. Um, Smarter people than me have written that spectrum is not as much discussing neurodivergencies as it is uh, the spectrum of a prism of color and um, loving who you want to love uh, uh, topics. And I can see that in this. Um, and when the video was released, or I'm sorry, when the single was released, the official photo for the single was a photo of uh, Florence and Isabella from the band kissing each other. Um, there's some more ocean imagery in again in it again and when we come for you we'll be we dressed up all in blue with the ocean in our arms kiss your eyes and kiss your palms uh, but there is one part in this song that is delivered and it's tough as nails and then it's followed by a really good uh, harp solo um, and when we come back we'll be dressed in black and you'll scream our names aloud and we won't eat and we won't sleep. We'll drag bodies from the ground and the way she sings it is tough. And then there's a harp solo and then it becomes a club anthem again. Um, not a bad song, not what I'm usually going to Florence and the Machine for. But I think that there definitely is a huge part of the fan base that gravitates toward this. Uh, I think a lot of the remixes of other songs end up sounding more like this song.
2: The uh, say my name and every color illuminates is just a beautiful like it's just a beautiful way to express love like when you know when somebody somebody appreciates you somebody loves you with the you know the way it changes your world I think it's it's a big love song and um, how love can make you feel it's an anthem song the beat is great. Um, there's a this this like hard breakdown before the third chorus. Um, the hooks come in and soar every time. I do catch myself though, like asking myself if every song is a huge anthem. Then is really no song a huge anthem? One of those existential crises. Uh, but am I having too much of a good thing? I ask myself, um, and then I tell myself, no, it's fine, and uh, I just go with it. Um, yeah, Spectrum is, uh, is is fine. is absolutely fine. Um, but I, I now have more questions than I have answers.
0: Yeah, it's another uplifting song. as that catchy chorus in Say My Name section, which, uh, you know, like Steve said, it's the Walter White song, or it could be another Sexy Time song. Uh, I'm definitely getting a little taste of Annie Lennox here. Uh, you got some galloping horses on the drums. They're keeping that momentum up. A uh, little hints of distortion to grind things up. Uh, Florence has a little bit of vocal fry at the beginning of the verses, no problem there. My only note would be to shave maybe thirty seconds off this song uh, to avoid that flirting with the repetition. Uh, but it's a solid pop song. Has great performances. Uh, the last bit really does take us to the Ren Fair for a turkey leg.
1: Track eleven you will not find it at the rent fair, but you'll find a lot of their tracks at the rent fair. And I, I, you know what? I kind of take that back. This one actually might be rent fair material. All this in heaven too. I mean, that could be what you put on the pod, like a whole t-shirt. And the heart is hard to translate. It has a language of its
4: own. It talks in tongues and calls. Qu-
1: all this in heaven too. And then our three
0: faces. <laughs> uh, that's all for this sure. in
1: heaven too. Uh, another one of my favorite songs in the album. Sounds like I have a lot of them. Uh, the music on this track pulses with t- tribal drums that we've kind of gotten used to in this thing. You've also got some Davy havoc esque, uh, woes and shouts. Um, there's violins, harps, and clashing cymbals, but uh, the, the the rhythm to this thing has some uh, some magic going on between the music and the lyrics. And I, this is another song that I sing to myself with a lot of hand gestures. Um, it's as epic as they ever get. Uh, a lot of rising action and descending action. Uh, but the cool thing about this song is that. I am not smart enough to write about what I read about this song. Did either of you read about how the the rhythms and the uh, the tones and the harmonic patterns of the song mimic heartbeats? Did either of you read that shit on Lyric Genius or whatever it is?
0: I, I sure didn't. But that's some like Tool, you know.
1: <laughs> this is like, tool, like I actually wrote Meshuggah <laughs> tonight, but yeah, it's like there's so much sugar stuff going on here. And apparently, I'm not going to just read it line for line and bore all of you. But the song is about... I mean, uh, musically, it's as good as this band ever gets to me. Uh, Very soaring. A lot of pounding. A lot of movement. uh, A lot of shouting to the rooftops and the rafters. Uh, But lyrically, a lot of it's about the inability to communicate with somebody you care about. And apparently there is a lot of like you know the idea of like i'm trying to understand your heart heart to heart there's a whole bunch of music patterns in this thing that mimic a heartbeat um good for them if they pulled that off i think i believe it but the, the there's a line at the end of it no words poor language it doesn't deserve such treatment and all of my stumbling phrases never amounted to anything worth this feeling all this heaven never could describe such a feeling as I'm hearing words were never so useful. So I was screaming out a language that I never knew existed before. So throughout the song, she's talking about trying to communicate to someone or something she loves. At the end, she learns a new language and she's saying things and she doesn't know what the words are, but she finally communicated to this person. So this song could also be called, Darmok and Jalad
0: at (laughs) Tamagula. When the walls fell.
1: Were you getting Star Trek Next Generation vibes in this one, too, or is it just me? Uh,
0: You know, I appreciate the passion that you have for this song, and it does make me actually want to revisit it and look at it through that lens. Uh, Because at first, you know, upon first blush, This is definitely a wordy song and I don't mind wordy songs. I mean, good Lord, Tom Waits and Nick cave. That is what they do. I mean, that's what they're selling. I mean, Nick cave definitely has the fire and brimstone preacher pointing at the audience and, you know, kind of accusing everyone who's uh, listening, prosecuting everyone. Um, but here we have florence she's definitely giving us a dissertation on how the heart talks and she's telling us how hard it is to express what the heart feels in a way that can be translated through communication that's fun that's good i like that good theme uh but by using a lot of words she tells us no words are a language just the same uh, statement that you had pulled out that words are a language it doesn't deserve such treatment and all of my stumbling phrases never amounted to anything worth this feeling Musically, this song is trying to keep up with all the ideas and phrasing that Florence is using, and it just doesn't quite stick to my ribs, though. That's the problem. It's like how I would describe a Kate Bush song after only really only hearing one song by Kate Bush. Um, and I think that comparison uh, between Kate and Florence is, I think, apt here. Uh, but I just, I like the lyrics, but the music, I feel, is not as gelling as it does in some of the other ideas that she has on this record or they have on this record. Um, I do like the theme though. I do like what she's trying to say, but it's not one of the standout performances on here. For I me.
1: think that's actually very fair, Mark. I think this deep into the record, we've heard versions of this song already musically before.
2: I want to kind of kick Mark's ass right now is what I want to kind of fucking do right now. <laughs>
1: <just>
0: uh, oh, <laughs> I I knew that I was I was probably like hitting a chord for Eric. Eric oh, is just right. doing we just really, like
1: we're we, we really, we really going for the we now, we're trying to get a barstools thing again. This is like, oh these guys they, they want to fight no, each other no, on air. It's no, like crazy. No, 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 no.
2: No, Mark, actually, I agree with a lot with Mark said, but I would say that where he thought they were it was a detriment, I would say it was a bonus. I do actually my notes have Kate Bush uh, uh, comparisons. I, I, this song to me is the best. This is number one with a bullet. Um, the, the message is the actually very similar to the message of, uh, the, the all no light song. But I think this one has a swooping chorus that gets in my, gets in my craw and, uh, but it's this descending chord progression that reminds me it's very odd. It's very odd the way it descends, it reminds me of Kate Bush. Her voice does not remind me of Kate Bush, but just the way it descends the chords. It's uh, it
3: it's that, very it's sad.
2: That, it's that
1: mathematical heartbeat shit that those guys on the internet wrote about. See, yeah, did it. yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, this one did it. This one gives me goosebumps. This one made me cry two times, two, three times when I was, re- re- I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that as a flex. It just is what it is. This, this one, maybe connect with me because communication is fucking hard, especially with people you love. I don't know. And, um, and it, it helps that you're right. The verse, the verses may not land, but the hooks are all timers. This, this is a big one, uh, for me. So.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Eric. It's a, it's like I said, they're going for, they're swinging for the rafters again. And I, I'm all for it when they do it. Um, I can see both your points. But I, I could also see how this could be somebody's favorite song in the record. It's uh it definitely and I like how it comes this late into the record, like if this resonates with you. This album's kind of a journey. And this seems like, you know, you're about to make one last push with a song as epic as this. So Mark and Mark, I would never want to fight you.
2: I'm I'm sorry. I already feel bad about saying that.
0: <laughs> It's uh <laughs> Musk and Zuck.
2: Yeah, yeah. No. No. no, I'll just let you win and then just... Yeah, I'll just hug you later. I I, I would never want to (laughs) hug
1: you I'm sorry. Let you win and hug you later. I took
0: you seriously, Eric. I was ready to start training and be like, you just name a time and place, buddy.
1: uh, That's the other t-shirt we're going to have. Let you win and hug you later. Don't let you win and hug you later. Pod like a hole. All right. But we we should measure... We should measure
2: dicks, though, Mark. I think that would be good for.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think I mean, whether or not we I I, I think our listeners would like to know. I mean, right. (laughs) All right. Enough of this. All right. Let's go, Stephen. I
1: don't think they'd like to know. Um, I think they they could just assume what's what. Uh, Leave my body. (laughs) Last track on the uh, the record. We're going to leave my body before most of our listeners leave this podcast. Leave, leave my body. May end strong. This record ends strong. Uh, the call and response on this track, uh, I love it. Um, the call and response, particularly on this track, is the part where he sings, like, I want your future. I don't want your future, I need your past. Uh, this song reminds me of The Cure. The span reminds me of The Cure many times, actually. I hear a lot of Robert Smith and Florence Welch. The way that she sometimes warbles her voice reminds me of Robert Smith. The fact that she could be gothy and spooky, but also very quirky, reminds me of Robert Smith. Um, the fact that she wears her heart on her sleeve reminds me of Robert Smith.
2: Uh, when, she, when when she's live, sorry Steve, but when she's live, she does like that kind of like cutesy like, thanks no, thanks for coming, yeah, kinda, like that kind of like, and Robert Smith does that too, like. Oh, i just, wow, there's so many people.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah <a> lot <laughs> was, of the, uh, the biggest song being. you've ever heard. Yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of the vibe, a lot of the atmosphere. Both bands are very atmospheric. I, just, I get a lot of Cure vibes from, from both. from A lot of the same muscles get flexed to me uh, between these two bands. And also, like, both these bands, like, if I listen to all their albums in a row, by the time I'm done with, like, five albums of Florence and the Machines, or five of the Cures, I will say... God, I love that band, but holy shit, I need to listen to something different now. Uh, <laughs> they, can, they can be a lot. Um, a lot of big sounds. But anyhow, this track reminds me of The Cure. Uh, the the it, it still has some of the grandiose sounds that we've become accustomed to, but it's a little more floaty, a little more ethereal than some of the other songs, a little bit more not as just hinged in a beat. This, this is one, like, this, this is actually a good song because it reminds me of where we came in. The first track kind of reminds me of the end of the movie, the witch with the people floating in the coven. This track also reminds me of floating. This song sounds like floating. I'm going to leave my body moving up to higher ground. Even if you don't use those words where she's literally talking about floating, the way it is delivered sounds like floating. It sounds like whatever they're saying, they're flying away. Uh, It's a, it's good stuff. Um, I think it's a good way to end. It, it kind of the way this song ends up ending is they kind of scale the band back. Uh, the chimes that are in the song stop, the drums stop, and then her voice kind of spreads out and scatters all over the speakers. It doesn't fade out as much as it sounds like sand being blown away. That's the very last sound you hear on this record. It's good shit. Um, I think this is a great way to leave this record. It still has everything you want. It still has good instrumentation, powerful vocals but it breathes a little bit more than the rest of the record does. It kind of excels.
2: Yeah. I actually like, I didn't make it myself, but I like your, your witch connection. Uh, just that it, it, does thematically fit like, uh, you know, in that movie, the end is like, I might be aligning with something dark and scary, but it's better than what I came from. This is freedom and freedom is, you know, is the apex. And, um, uh, I get that from this. This is, uh, you know, really a song about uh, out of body experience, uh, you know, when she's singing in front of a stage, um, seeing herself in a detached perspective. Um, and uh, it, you know, it's kind of the end game to the songs that are more death related or like the earlier ones about drowning where it's just kind of like, you know, seeing the world spin as your soul leaves. It's you know, many meanings coming from that. I think it's thematically a perfect ending to this, this record. Um, what I like, you know, there, there's some, some of the more prominent guitar work is on this song. It's good closer. Uh, it kind of sounds like a funeral song, which is fine. A great, thematically perfect. Um, I do like that she does the uh, oh, 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 like that, that little like background little chorus thing. I, I always love that little touch whenever it shows up in a song. Um,
1: they do a lot of She Certainly happens she here. She and they because they have choirs a lot do a lot of great vocalization to flesh things out. <clears throat> and, yeah. and I love it.
2: Yeah, but I love like when the the, the measure ends and transitioning to the next measure. It's just the, Oh, transit little strand, in sound yeah. chef's kiss. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it, it makes sense to get closer to this one. Um, an album for me that like some songs are more engaging than others, but at least there's this, like this kind of like chamber goth thread throughout the whole thing that really works for me and it ends, it ends well. Um, I'm eating my turkey leg at a Ren Faire Mark and I'm quite happy about it. And I've got a flower. I've got a flower wreath around my head and I've cut bangs into my hair <laughs> and things are well,
3: things are well.
0: Uh, yes. And going by your Sir Didymus, like all three, before, before we get to Mark, um, it's
1: funny that he's, uh, wearing the flowers in your hair, uh, dance fever she actually was kind of partially inspired to that title track from the movie Midsommar, which it's got
0: people. there. I have not seen that one. I've heard that one is also a tough watch.
2: It's, it's, (laughs) oh, it has the, it has probably the most, the most, uh, unhinged opening scene you've ever seen. That's That's
0: very similar to what's going on over at Steven's house
2: right now. Holy shit! I'm scared right now. That I, I'm terrified. But all right, go go on, Mark. <laughs> go on, Mark. Midsummer. Watch uh, it with so, Watch it with me. We'll hold hands. We'll get through it. It'll be fine.
0: Did that same director do something also? Was did he do Hereditary? Oh like, yeah. Of, oh like, yeah. People up. Okay. It, good god. It's,
2: it's grief porn. Grief porn. But um. Anyways.
0: Good. Yeah, I've heard those are both tough, tough watches. Um leave my body good closing track It uh, brings the gospel back in to provide a little call and response in the chorus i'm gonna leave my body and go to a higher ground would seem like it would be delivered in, in that religious context um the rapture you know that whole thing uh the sound of freedom <laughs> Jim Caviezel knows what I'm talking about, but oh, yeah. uh, digging into Florence, she definitely considers herself very non-religious. Um, so I appreciate that. You know, it kind of reminds me of what Nick cave likes to do, you know, um, calling out very spiritual themes and, and both musically and lyrically, but not really subscribing to, I mean, I think Nick cave actually does subscribe to that and that's okay. But, uh, Florence here, she doesn't do that. Um, very spiritual lyrics. Um, but you know, kind of digging into what she has to say about this song. It's more about like that transcendental feeling that you get by doing something, uh, very spiritual and something that you share with an audience in her case, singing live.
1: Uh, All right. Leave my body. Uh, a couple other things and then we'll rank this one. Um, I didn't want to say that I brought the, the Game of Thrones thing earlier, and this is an aside from this record, but Florence and the Machine in pop media, they're all over the place. And just like a quick look, Game of Thrones, uh, Yellow Jackets, they covered the Just a Girl by No Doubt for that show. Anyhow, yeah, Pretty Little Liars, uh, the remake of Melrose Place, uh, The Great Gatsby, the show Lucifer. I can keep going. Uh, they're they're used in so much, but media. no Maze
2: Runner, no Maze, no Maze Runner. Runner. That's.
1: But uh, they were they were used very well in Guardians of the Galaxy Three, though I will say that when they were used in Guardians of the Galaxy Three, I won't spoil it for Mark. You haven't seen that one, Guardians of the Galaxy Three. Actually, I, I, that made me very happy. The way they're used in that movie, I wasn't expecting it at all. And that was actually another one that towns went. My son went and saw with me. And I was like, oh, I can get you to sit through a whole movie. And then uh, Florence and the Machine gets used in the pivotal moment. Didn't expect that. That's fun. Anyways, my question is, yes, they're used in a shit ton of shows and movies. So yeah, they're good good music for that stuff. Uh, What do you guys give this record? I give it a... I give Ceremonials. It's not my favorite. Their next record's my favorite. The How Big, How Beautiful album. I'll give this a... 4.1 is very, very good and has very, very good songs. Sometimes I think that even though I do like the cohesive theme to it, like I think out of all the records, it's the one that sounds the most of a piece. Um, Like their first album sounds a lot more scatterbrained to me and their following records uh, are a little bit more balanced with different song styles than this one. Um, but it has a point. It, it sticks to it. I feel like the band had a very like strong vision and they stuck to it. So even sometimes when it sounds like you know oh, another very dark epic song, yeah, they, they were kind of in their groove and they stuck to what they knew at the time. And I I think it works in this record and the song, the 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 pow- the the power of the quality of the songcraft and the songwriting still is there. A four point one. Well you give it, Eric?
2: I give this one a 3.8, 3.8, almost a four. I mean, listen, you, you come to Florence, the machine for a singer who has mastered the craft, mastered the craft on their second album. She's mastered the craft. She can do whatever she needs to do with singing. Perfect. Some songs are more engaging than others musically, but at the, at least Like you said, there's a cohesive feel to it. There's this dark, kind of gothy, Baroque feel to it. Great. Uh, And when it hits, it hits hard. And maybe they will hit harder on later albums. But because you're going on this journey on this one that kind of all fits together, it's rewarding. Um, So yeah, 3.8 for me. And uh, All This in Heaven too is my top-notch song on this record.
0: So for me, uh, it's never boring. The production and the performances are top-notch. It just didn't connect with me straight away. Uh, At times, my tastes were a bit resistant to it on first impression. Uh, But over time and uh, multiple listenings to this particular album, I started to understand the band's musical palette and kind of going through their discography and it was just one simple run through i didn't revisit any of the other records besides this one Um, her talent is undeniable uh, but i equally think artists like adele for example they have a massive amount of talent uh, but to this day i just have never listened to a full record of hers Uh, my assumptions about florence and the machine are pretty much largely correct about having really big music with lots of instrumentation that does emphasize her vocal prowess. I think that she's, like I said, a massive talent and, uh, not to be flippant, but I think at her top moments, you know, it's female warrior music, uh, that can both be somber, uplifting, energizing, and morose. And sometimes you find all of those elements in the same song. Um, So for that, I give this record a 3.4 for now. I do think that I could potentially have her grow on me a little bit more uh, to Steven's point. At first, he was like, I don't got time for this. What is this lawyer type music? Um, But over time, the hooks sunk in and it uh, it grew for him. And it could do that for me as well. Yeah, one point. But for now, 3.4.
1: Uh, one thing about the uh, when you compare her to her contemporaries I mean there, there's like two sets of contemporaries here there's this band is still an indie rock band you could throw them and we'll just stick with what we've been talking about the arcade fire bucket but then also if you were to focus on the fact that she's a powerhouse singer I'm like oh yeah she's right up there with like the Adels. Um but the difference between her and all the other powerhouse singers that we know of nine times out of ten they don't write their own music uh, she, she exactly. writes every song on the record with her band um, that's a big difference to me
2: that's that's big that's huge yeah no that's that's really all yeah difference. a
1: lot of times people that's that have a voice that's, that's powerful lean on that and they don't have to become creative they just go on you know X factor America's got talent these days um so yeah that's just a big difference that you know to to this this band. And yeah, I just yeah, like I said before, I, you know, she can be vulnerable but also ferocious, and I I, I love that. Um, I think it's as important to be, it's important, it's as important to be able to let your guard down as it is to kick someone's ass. And I think she can do both those things. So Florence and the Machine, you didn't expect that to be something you'd talk about from the same uh, podcast that dazzled you with discussions about. Uh, Uncle Acid, Behemoth, and I don't know what else. Uh, what's that one band Eric picked, Controlled Bleeding? No. What was it? it was, uh, <laughs> bad not Fat gadget. gadget. No, the one from the guy from uh, Hamilton. Clipping. Oh, how diverse, uh, clipping. <laughs> how diverse those boys of Pod Like a Hole are. Um, and you'll find yeah. them on Barstool yeah. Sports. So what's next? What's next from us? <laughs>
0: All right, Eric. We got five on the board. Five.
2: Wow. Okay. I'm rolling. I'm rolling. All right. Well. All right, guys. What's your favorite Brian De Palma movie that also stars Nicolas Cage and Gary Sinise? That's
1: Snake
0: Eyes. Um, Snake, <laughs> Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. That's, Snake that's Eyes. A
2: one. <laughs> and a
0: one. I that's saw that one. movie in theaters with a friend's brother. Uh, it was good stuff. So number 1, we are going to be going into one of Eric's picks and we're only oh. not only going to be talking about a classic band but one of the most influential and classic records of, of all time. It's The Clash's London Calling. Uh, released in 1979. Um, so that'll be fun. I'm glad you didn't pick Sandinista because we would be like, <laughs> having to put three pots of coffee on. Yeah. Staying, yeah. Staying across
1: the pond. That's good. That's fun.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Staying yeah, across London, call,
1: London, yeah. London Calling's an easy choice for the Clash. But yeah, I mean, uh, we can't, you cut the crap. That would be a, That we can't do that one. And uh <laughs>
3: Oh,
1: this, is, this is good. I look forward to this. it's a good. That's a, we need. We need to. You know what? Yeah. That's really good because we had the the whatever was going on with the arcade fire. That's heavy. And Florence and the Machine's heavy for a lot of times. There's moments of uh, uplifting this, but then the sound is really heavy. The Clash rocks, and you could dance to them too. I'm looking forward to talking about the Clash.
0: Absolutely. Um, we can rock the Casbah with. Uh... The guy from Royal Tenenbaums do a bump of uh, cocaine.
1: I, I should know. I, should know this, <laughs> I, should I should know this off the top of my head, but it not I mean, it's a classic song. Isn't "Lost in the Supermarket" on this record? Oh, yes. yeah. Right. oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! There
2: you go. Yeah, yeah. We well, know there's there, there there is classic after classic. All right, guys, get ready. Get your uh, get your uh, uh, your your notepads ready because this one is. Uh,
3: non-stop uh, fun
0: time that's right steve is already ahead of the curve he's already cut every sleeve of off everything that uh, has sleeves in his house so him and joe strummer are you know definitely of a, of a of a kind um next episode we'll definitely see who we line up with on the band members um so tune in for that that's right um so uh, as always this has been mark steve and eric we are pod like a whole, and we hope that we brought you closer to flow